And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100%. And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. He looks so educated with his glasses and his beanie on at the same yes. time. My God, welcome to the Weighing In Podcast. We are here to talk about the fights that happened, and we have got an incredibly, incredibly special guest for you later on in the show. You're going to love him. My man, what's happening? How you doing? How was Nashville and then going to Tuscaloosa, Alabama for the Bama versus LSU football game. It was awesome, man. I mean, like, I've never been to an yeah, SEC man. game, and uh, it makes you – you kind of put things into perspective, like being there live. Right. I mean, I've got I've got live video. I've got the Walker locker room, like with Saban walking the, the, his players out of the locker room. It's pretty damn impressive. It's pretty impressive. They do a lighting ceremony. I guess apparently Bama was the first um, – uh, college to do it, first football stadium to do it, where they hold up their phones and they, you know, they yell Allah on one side and everyone puts their phone up on this side and on the right side, everyone keeps their phone down and they go to the other side, they go Bama and then everyone puts Bama. their light, they put their light up on their phone. This one goes down. They go back and forth. It's pretty cool, man. And then the, the songs that they sing, adding in, like how they basically want to beat LSU and T and Tennessee too. It's pretty <laughs> fucking cool. It's pretty cool. So, uh, you know, but I did notice it's a little bit harder, John, to get through long nights, whether you're out with your friends or whatever, when you're not drinking. <laughs> so, like it, we, we chartered a bus, um, we chartered a bus from Nashville, came on down to the game, got back. As soon as the game was over, game ended late. It was like probably around 10 something. So we get on the bus and we drive back. Well, it's about a three and a half, four hour drive. Yeah, you need to have whiskey at that. Yeah, point. we slept. I slept the whole way. I just knocked right out. But the night before, we went out in downtown Nashville, and after we had dinner, it was only like ten o'clock. And I'm looking around, and I see I see my cousin, I see some of our friends, and we're all together in a group of about fifteen of us. And I just like looked at one of my buddies that was in from the from the from California. He was there visiting. And I looked at him. He looked at me. I go, I'm about to Irish goodbye, you guys. And he's like, don't, f <laughs> he goes, don't fucking leave without me. And I fucking whoop, right out the back door. Like, it's one thing to do. Like with you guys, when we're on the road for Bellator, like yeah. I can Irish goodbye whenever I want. I normally don't because yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't normally drink unless I'm with you guys. And you're kind of the same way is we don't normally drink until we all get together. Like, you know, it's like we, right. we do the first night we get there, we kind of all have drinks and have dinner. And then the, the night we don't really drink the next two nights. And then the fights, fight night, we drink again that night and we all After. go our way. Yeah. We don't drink a lot. We don't drink, you know, when we're not really around each other. So I can Irish goodbye, you guys. And it's like no big deal. And, you know, um, but like when you're with a group of friends, you haven't seen in a long time. And my cousin too, he's from, you know, he lives in Nashville now. He's from California. It's just that moment of, Okay, I'm leaving him. Am I gonna leave? I kind of feel like you know I'm here. I'm staying at his house. Literally, like just <laughs> I just jumped in a cab. But I will tell you this, John. I I'm gonna tell it. This is why people fucking don't use taxi cabs anymore. I kid you not. It was literally a 10 minute drive from downtown to my cousin's house. 10 minute drive. Jumped in a cab because it was convenient. The buddy I was with. Hey, let's get an Uber. He's like, you know, there's cabs right here. Just jump in the cab. It's accessible. Let's just jump in. We'll get home in 10 minutes. No problem. Instead of waiting for an Uber and trying to find him in downtown Nashville's packed. It's Nash Vegas now, I guess apparently it's called. Yeah. It's fucking packed. Oh, wow. Anyway, so we jump in the fucking taxi cab. We're get, we get down. We get to the house. And my buddy goes, he's like, I got it. Don't worry about it. He's like, you know, whatever. No big deal. Guy gives him the fucking receipt. 
hundred dollars, hundred bucks. I said, I didn't, I didn't see it until after we got, I was like, dude, it was a hundred dollars for the taxi. I was like, why the fuck did you pay it? I would have told you to fuck off. I would have told you to fuck off. The guy didn't run the meter. I would have just told you to fuck off. You can't charge me if there's no meter running. It's against the law. Not, he didn't run the no, meter. No, he didn't run the meter. I thought, well, because right. I haven't been in a taxi cab in forever, probably at least 12, 13 years. I thought maybe that they just started doing it Damn. separately now on how they do it through their phones. I thought maybe yeah. it was a hundred bucks. It was less than, it was, it was like only probably like eight minutes or eight miles away. Not even, maybe, maybe not even that far. Six to seven miles away. We were, they were home in 10 minutes. It was a hundred bucks. I was like, I would have sent ten dollars, ten dollars a minute. I would have fucking told him to fuck off. I seriously, I got so I can see why you guys are going out of business. It's a dinosaur, man. The taxi cab industry is a fucking dinosaur business. Yeah, it is. It's gotta go. It's gotta go. Disgusting. Disgusting. <sighs> but anyways, but the, the game itself was awesome. The crowds were awesome. The people in Alabama were fucking awesome. It was great. It was all I had a, I had a blast. And if you know I'd never been to an SEC game and I was I can't wait to go back. It's gonna be yep. fun. SEC football. Oh, trust me. Awesome. They are intense. Awesome. They are intense. It's gonna be fun. But makes well, a lot is happening. A lot is happening in the fight world. We we did just have a show from Brazil with the UFC. Mm -hmm. And we had a very long, <laughs> very long main event. It, it's so funny because I'm watching this fight, Josh, and it's reminding me of something. And I'll bring it up mm -hmm. when we start really talking about this fight. But it's hysterical how it was like, oh, yeah, well, that's basically this. The, I did that fight one time. Mm. But it's crazy. Let's talk about the UFC. And we had Jelton Almeida mm -hmm. taking on Derek the Black Beast Lewis in the main event in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Sao Paulo is a cool place. Huge city. Huge, huge city. I don't know if you've ever been there. Have you been there? No, I've never been. Yeah, it's... uh. Massive city, one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah, no, don't doubt it. And uh, the, the fans there definitely root for their own, and I love that about them. <laughs> They're homers, so you would fit in perfectly yes. there. Yes, it's the whole way. <laughs> but let's talk about Mr. Almeida versus Mr. Lewis. What did you think of that fight? Um, scroll down a little bit more there, Dave. Let's talk about the co-main event. Um, you guys, <laughs> Nicholas no, no, Dalby no, no, versus no, 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 John. Come on. Yes. Okay. So look, I saw some people in the comments going, what do you mean that Almeida can't wrestle? Look, he's from Brazil. Like wrestling is not great there. And anybody that had like, I look at Derek Lewis is he's developed decent takedown defense, but Almeida is the better athlete. Let's, you know, let's oh, not, no doubt. we're not gonna beat around the bush. It's true. He's the better athlete. His wrestling is not great. I'm not going to have this argument with people on the couch at home. His wrestling's not good. But it was good enough to get Derek Lewis down. And once he got him down, Derek Lewis really had no answer to get back up. And so the his ability to get the takedowns, what I did like that he did in his wrestling was that he kept Derek Lewis moving. And he did it off of transitions. Like as Derek Lewis was trying to fight it, he'd move him a little bit and then reattack on the double leg and lift and scoop or just scoop or lift a single and kind of get him off balance because heavyweights don't have good balance because, John, I've seen you fell on top of me one time inside the cage, and I remember no no balance. It's very common for heavyweights. It was perfect balance. Yes. It fell right on top of you. Yes, that's just called accurate falling. That's all it's called. <laughs> and so with Almeida, he's the better athlete. He's the better jiu-jitsu guy. He was very good on the ground. Good even when he got put on bottom. He was able to come up on the under the deep half, 
He did a be- he has some beautiful Absolutely sweeps. He phenomenal. did a very nice job. Absolutely phenomenal. But in terms of what the fight, John, it was trash. It was trash. Um, I thought. Why do you think it was trash? I thought Almeida did a great job of control. I thought Almeida did a great job of, of um, of threatening positions, but never fully attacking the positions. I just there should have been more emphasis on doing damage. If you have mount on someone, give me the hard aggressive elbows. Make the ref want to stop it. Put make Derek Lewis move to the point where it's easier for me to catch him in transition. You are the better athlete. You are way better on the ground. It's not even. It's, it's night and day. No, like you can catch yeah, him in arm bars and transition. Josh, he stood up in mount. Yeah, and just stood over yeah. him. I, 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 I just. <laughs> like, I, I, this is what I really believe happened. He realized how strong Derek Lewis was. Like he was able. Yes. Derek Lewis was able just to hold him away like this with his two hands on his chest and go. But you, why not? Why not when it's coming to ten seconds left? Why not go after that arm? If you're worried about being on the bottom, go after the arm with, you know, yeah. 15 seconds left. Why are you just allowing those arms to be extended that whole time? Because Derek's not a flexible guy. Mm-hmm. An arm bar is going to work really well. Yeah, he could possibly get out, but it's the end of the round. Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you. that I don't have those answers, John. I wish I this did. This reminded me of a fight that happened in Strike Force: Jake Shields well, versus Dan, Dan Henderson. Henderson. Boom. See? Yeah. Tell me that this fight was not incredibly similar to what we saw with Almeida and Jake Lewis. landed more Dan strikes. Henderson. Maybe they weren't hard, but Jake landed more strikes. At least he was throwing <laughs> something. I mean, Almeida was literally just on top. One strike, one, two strike, and at least Jake was hitting, so, you know. I don't know, man. I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I'm not trying to throw any shade. I, you and you know, everyone, every you guys listen to the show enough. I love Jelton Almeida. I think he's I think he's the future. But buddy, you got to get better at ground and pound. I Well, yeah. The UFC you, is you not going to allow this. It's not it's not even you have to get better at ground and pound. You have to get better at doing damage. Yeah. Okay? And, and we say it all the time. Ground and pound is an art unto itself. To know how to throw heavy shots while maintaining balance, mm-hmm. doing damage, opening up the person's guard, understanding how to do it. But many times, and it was funny because Derek Lewis controlled his wrist to the point he was frustrated. Yeah. And he was so frustrated, he's looking at Mark Goddard like, hey, look at what he's doing. Mark Goddard's going, that's your wrist. Fight. <laughs> you know? And uh, yeah. it was just one of those fights where it kept on looking like something bad was going to happen to Almeida in this because Jelton was just having this easy time with him and it looked like and we always talk about don't don't let a good fighter stay in the fight get rid of him yeah you know put him away if you can put and Derek just hung in there and he kept just putting up with some discomfort at time some little shots and everything nothing that that was that damaging because you looked at him at the end of the fight he was a little bruised up Mm -hmm. but not bad not bad for a guy that was mounted and it was hold on when you talk about the mount I mean, it's not like that Almeida, look, he just got mount. It was given yeah. to him. I mean, it was. Yeah. It was right to like the takedown, right to mount. It just, I mean, it, but it wasn't It wasn't like it was a setup to the mount. He just, no. he, after a while, he just threw the leg over. It was like, no, okay, I know you're going to give it to me. And he did. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you just giving it to him? There was no what, neon belly trying to slide the knee across, trying no, to get there technically. No, dude, he didn't cut through nothing. 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 There was nothing. Yeah. It was just a strange fight, the same as 
Jake Shields mm. and Dan Henderson was really a strange fight. Yeah. You know, Dan could not stop Jake from getting mount and just ended up underneath him, but wasn't hurt. It went five rounds just like this. And it's one of those you look and you go, yeah, I can't say anything. You look at Jailton fought and he fought, you know, he won every round. But it seems like he should have been able to get the finish. Well, I see what's in but his. I can't. I can't blame him that he didn't. I see what's in his future. His future is Curtis Blades. That's his future. Oh yeah. The UFC. Yeah, well, that was supposed to be this fight. The UFC is going to go. Hey, I need to see you do something on the feet. I'm not putting you yeah. any closer to a title shot until I see you actually can stand and actually throw some bombs and like get after it. Look, when. Well, that that's how he's lost. You know, when you take a look, he's mm -hmm. got what two losses? Yeah, I, I believe so. And his first loss was, I think he got uh, TKO'd, and the second loss was a decision. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it's like he uh, eh, KO'd, so yeah. Okay. So, now it's 16 seconds into the fight, yeah. but that's a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the guy's good. He really is, and he's athletic. Oh, yeah. You know, he's he's got a great ground game. He's able to do it. He's able to force that on everybody, but... It is the question, if you go against someone that can stop your takedowns, what are you going to be able to do? And it, it's a good question, this, because Derek, you know, kept trying to load up with the uppercut, and, you know, and after a while, it's like, Derek, you've shown him that mm -hmm. how many times? He knows that's what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest thing for me to avoid if you keep on showing it that Where's way. Where's the flying knee, Derek? Yeah. Let me see that. Exactly. <laughs> Let me see it. I mean, but exactly. if I'm the UFC, right, you're thinking to yourself, you couldn't finish Derek Lewis on the ground. You had him on the ground for 21 minutes of the fight. And if there's one place that everyone wants to put Derek Lewis, mm -hmm. it's on the and ground. And you couldn't finish him. That's the concern. I mean, that is a concern. Uh, Derek Lewis got, he got finished by DC on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> DC's really not a submission fighter, but he did. He, I, I've done fights with him where he's gotten submissions. Yeah. So. Yeah, this guy is known for his submissions, and yeah. there was lack thereof in this fight. And look, at, like I said, I'm high on this guy. I think he's going to end up being at least a number one contender or potentially the champion because you get up into those higher weight classes. He's got he's got a little bit of wrestling. It's not great wrestling. It's a little bit of wrestling. But when you're fighting these guys in the heavyweight division, you don't need great wrestling. I mean, you're going to need it against guys like John Jones, Curtis Blades. Yeah. You're going to need it against those guys, or you're going to need a lot better standard than what you have. But all the other guys, you're not going to need you're a, little, a tiny bit of wrestling. Shot one, maybe to shot two, take, you know, in terms of transition and chain wrestling. Once they hit the ground, they're all lost, all of them. You look at Ty Tuivasa, you look at Cyril Gaon, you look at uh, Volkov, you look at all of those guys. They're all lost on the ground except for Curtis Blades and John Jones. Every single one of them. Stipe is not lost. He's not lost on there either. You know, but I'm saying no, like... Stipe is not lost. No. Either, is, either is Aspinall. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Aspinall. I mean, I, I, there are... So there are guys in there. I was just in my mind. I only had John and, and Curtis. And I started thinking, okay, I've got other guys. Yeah. Um, but it's... You can see them. They if Had he had a great performance tonight, they would have fast-tracked him. Probably skipped Curtis Blades. Moved right into somebody else who kind of favored him a little bit more. But I think because... Of what they got, they're going to probably look to make him a Curtis Blades fight. Yeah, you know? I agree with you. I, I just I think they're going to yeah. look towards putting him towards someone that's going to make him have to stand. Yeah, I mean, like all I all I was thinking, and I know it sounds really stupid, was of GSP. I was I was not impressed by your performance. <laughs> <laughs> like if I'm them going this, I was not impressed.
you know, and I, I hope that he, there's gotta be more. If you're, if you're Dana White, you're looking for more of a, an, an emphasis on either damage or the attack, 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 submission, submission. So I want to see you chasing that, you know, a long time ago, I think it was for the ultimate fighter. He said, Dana came out and was like, we're looking for fucking killers, man. We want guys that are constantly looking for the finish, constantly looking for the knockout, submissions, whatever it is. We're looking for fucking stone cold killers. If you're not that guy, this ain't the promotion for you. And what I saw, I didn't see that guy last night. I've seen it before, but I didn't see that guy last night. That's where we're at. So hopefully, uh, you know, this was just a one-off and we see him get mentally gets better in terms of going for it against someone. But Well, if you are not impressed with his performance, oh, then let's talk about... Oh the co-main event because we had talked about this fight in length in our last show talking about Gabriel Bonfim against Nicholas Dalby and Ooh. you gotta admit I was right on this one I said what's the way for Nicholas Dalby Nicholas Dalby's got a gas tank mm. Nicholas, Nicholas Dalby is a tough son of a bitch I've watched him fight too many times he is a gamer man he will go for it he will take shots mm -hmm. to give shots and until you have fought a guy like that, you just don't understand what it's like to punch somebody with everything you have and them to just snort and come forward and you go, Jesus Christ. You know, and it just starts to become this overwhelming current that you cannot swim, you know, up against. And and that's what happened with Bonfim. Bonfim's gonna learn from this. He was a he's a good fighter. He's got a lot of talent. He is athletic, he's fast. He's got good power, but he was not ready for someone to be able to take that power and come back at him the way that Dalby did. Yeah, you have to really, if, if you're a bone fiend, you have to go back to your camp and you say, look, you guys need to, you guys should have prepared me better for somebody who had this amount of pressure. Like you, when someone's as good as bone fiend, you shouldn't have lost to someone like this. You should have fought a more composed fight, cut angles, cut off, and basically every time he threw, stepped out the side and came out the back door. Should have J-turned, yeah. came out the side, circled out, came underneath the, the heavy shots, got his back off the fence. He had no answer for it. Once he got tired, once he could stop, oh. once he lost his accuracy, once he got, got tired, tired, his back was, was riding that fence. He was riding the fence, and then he was... Yeah. He, the other thing, for God's sake, grab the guy. Stop <laughs> covering up, putting your head... Putting, and then the other thing, putting your head down at his down, waist level. Knee in you. It just didn't make yeah. sense. I'm like, what, I know you're tired, but... Just grab him, grab him, lock him up, over Josh, unders, Josh, whatever it is. You know, the, one of the things, it all comes down to this. Tell me why it was that you worked your ass off doing sprints around, you know, 800 yard sprints, 440s, all these. Why did you work your ass off? So I didn't end up like that. In that fashion. Bingo. Wait. Because fatigue makes cowards yeah. out of all of us. You know, there's. And it's not that you're a coward, no. it's just that you can't perform. Yeah. You hit that point where your brain basically shuts down. Everything's a fog. Everything's a fog. Yeah. You know, I'm, I've gotten that. I've gotten that in training several times, and um, I used to get that when I first started training with guys like Bob Cook and and Frank Shamrock. They would push you. They wouldn't even go hard in the beginning. They would just put pressure on you because they knew they were in better shape. I was a part time fighter. They were in the gym every day, training with the fighters, training in the evening, teaching classes, doing jujitsu, grappling hours and hours on end. Yep. so they knew they're like look all i gotta do is just get past the first two rounds with this guy and it's a different story because i wasn't a full-time fighter and it opened my eyes to the point of where you had to learn to push yourself 
in cardio nonstop. And when I when you hear the saying, right, you know, uh, fatigue makes cowards all of us, you you don't realize how much time I spent instead of hitting mitts, instead of sparring, instead of grappling. I said, you know what? I'm feeling a little down today. I'm feeling like my body feels a little bit tighter, tired. I'm gonna go to. I'm just gonna basically gonna go to to do sprints on the pre core, do sprints on the treadmill, because you knew that the most important thing was making sure your cardio was on point. Doing mitts and and, and all those things, and the better shape you're in, the better your brain will process whatever it is your coaches are telling you to do. So my first thing as soon as camp started was to make sure that. I didn't care about hitting mitts, even though I still hit them. But it was like, okay, look, it wasn't a great pad session today. No big deal. It wasn't a great sparring session today. Didn't care. It was all about getting my muscle endurance up, getting my heart rate up, getting my cardio on track, getting my recovery on track. That for after the first two, three weeks, completely different fighter. Completely yeah. different. Just a switch just turned on. Yeah. When I came back from China, um, I was in China for about three, three months. Doing a doing a low level C actually probably a D level movie, and when I came back, when I came back, I I found out when I was there the last two weeks I was fighting Nate Diaz, my first fight in the UFC, and so I came back, man, I couldn't I couldn't spar for two weeks, I couldn't spar fucking more than two rounds, I was getting my ass kicked by one twenty five pounders, they were fucking yeah. me up, they were just peppering me, they were like blah, blah. I look, I was like a Pez dispenser out there, just my head snapping back, just getting tagged. But after the two weeks, my body started getting more in shape, started feeling better. You got to get, you've got to push yourself in the cardio the most. And then everything else will get processed a lot better mentally. Just, it makes, makes sense, man. Makes sense. It does. This is something he's going to have to learn from because he's got all the talent in the world, but you got to learn how to step offline, get offline, come out the back door, push their back to the fence, let your hands go and then circle back to the center or, or push your step back into the center and let the fight develop in front of you again. You've got to learn to do those things. He just he got himself bullied around after he got tired. And Dolby's definitely on a roll. Look, if Dolby, once they had a three fight losing streak in the UFC, mm-hmm. you know, I think all decisions, yeah. just you know, unanimous and split. But the, he is on a roll now, and he is fighting well. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the UFC, he left, yep. and then came back. And now, man, I'll tell you what. You know, he has the one loss to Tim Means, but other than that, he has been going through people, and he's got some big wins. And uh, I say it all the time: that fight that I watched him with against Ross Houston, which was in Cage mm-hmm. Warriors, and it was stopped due to blood because they were both bleeding and slipping, and it was. But it told me everything I needed to know about the guy. Yeah, he's got no quit in him, and he will come after you. So. Just an incredible uh, performance and a, a great win. I, I want to see who they're going to put him up. He's got to be ranked now. Who, I mean, he's got to. He's got to be somewhere. Yeah, he's got to be. He's he's that good. I think so. <clears throat> but keep in mind they won't update us till Tuesday anyway. Yeah, oh, yeah, they yeah, haven't updated true. it. Yeah, because let's be honest. And, and then, no no disrespect, but you got people in there that he's better than. It's one. Is it one seventy or lightweight? One seventy. One seventy. One seventy. Welterweight. Yeah, I mean, but uh, Bonfim's not in there either. No, Bonfim's not. But Dolby is now on a on uh, how many how many fights has he won in a row? There, go back to that, uh, Dave. Five. I want to say four. something like that. Four, four in a row. Four four in a row. Wins. Okay. Yeah. But before that, he was he was winning Minnesota contests. Yeah. Yep. Whatever happened to Ross Houston? Just stop fighting. 
he had that one fight in Bellator and he lost, and then he 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 had uh, he had the fight against MVP. Yeah. I want to say it was, and that was it. He hasn't I haven't seen since. him since what twenty twenty. No, interesting. Yep. Fucking, he picked the worst time to fight with no crowds. Yeah, he was a talent, talented guy. Yeah, interesting. He really was. Ah, uh, anyways. Um, all right. So let's get back to it. Rodrigo Nascimento against Dante Mays. Ah, hey, I, I give it. I thought I thought Dante actually fought a good fight. Yep. I thought he got hit too much, yep. but you know what? He stood in there. He he tried all kinds of different things to to make him work for mm-hmm. him. He's not a guy that's multi, you know, functional. Nah, he so doesn't it, have really good kicks yeah. or anything like that. He's more of a boxing centric uh, guy, and if he can use his hands to, you know, put them on you, he does well. Nascimento is just a little bit more well rounded as a as a complete fighter, and he got the decision. But I, I thought it was a good fight. I thought Dante Mace, you know, you know, showed himself very well. Yeah, I think what you see though is. Um, Nascimento, he looked great the first two rounds, and then both of them in that third round, you saw heavyweights. I mean, this is what you see from from heavyweights. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, see, a lot, of, lot, of, lot of weight to move around. Yeah, I mean, like that's why I always say the lighter, the lighter fighters are better because we actually fight for the full. It's not better. No, it is better. No, it's not it better. Is. If you can't get really? through a full okay. fight, they're better. Okay, so then you fight him, and we'll see who's better. Nope. Why? Why you got to use an old guy? These guys are younger than I'm me. I'm not using an old I guy. I am old, John. You said you. You said you. That means me. Well, that means me. You, know, you as you as a lightweight fighter. If, if go go fight the heavyweight. When you beat him, then I'll say up, you're a better John. fighter. I would have I, I fucked these Shit. guys you up. Fucking, you can't even beat Bro. an old fucking grandpa like me. You you forget. <laughs> I used, I, no, I said when I was younger. You said why would I why would I fight <laughs> these guys now? These guys are fucking wait. They're like 27, 28 years old in their prime. Yeah, you couldn't even beat a sixty-some-year-old oh, bastard God. like me. But I wasn't in my prime when I was with you, and you—you you also <laughs> just fell over on me. I, I was—it was, it was unexpected. Yeah. We're gonna have to bring out that tape. Yeah, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it does. Uh, uh next fight. Um, Cowboy Hollow against Abus Magomedov, and you're talking about conditioning again. Yeah. And Abus is gonna have to figure out what. It is because he, for the most part, he looked good in the fight. He took I, some. I thought so you know, too. I thought he. I thought he put some really good shots on Cow and and was doing his job. And he fell off of the goddamn turnip truck yeah. in that third round, and it just all fell apart for him. And yeah. Stuff. Now it went to a decision, but you know, How, I, I look at Bohalo's good. Yeah. You know, and I th- I thought he fought. And I've watched him multiple times where I go and I go. Not the smartest in what you did, but hey, super exciting. Really liked it. And this one, he was really smart. I thought he fought a very fight smart, IQ technically came sound fight. Yeah. Let, let me let me um, break it down for you. This is not for you, but for everyone listening. What he needed to do is he understood how good Magomedov was in the first round. He's seen that before. Yeah. He saw it against Sean Strickland. And then after that, he's not the same fighter. What he did was he allowed Magomedov to, to fight a fight let his output come and he was very conservative Bahala was he was conservative he made him fight made him react and in the second round i thought the second round was close but i still had Bahala taking the fight i had, had him taking the it. round but i had magomedov winning the first round so i had magomedov so winning the first round I had Bahala win the second and in the third there was just no output from magomedov no, so when dead. i looked at what Bahala did is he fought a very very smart fight when we talk about fighter iq he understood what was at stake the hype's around this I guy. Don't, I, don't ha- I don't have to win every round. Yeah, I don't need to win the first round. Yep. And look, he right. fought basically how I had to fight my whole career. 
I was never going to be better than the stronger, faster, harder hitter, you know, better wrestler than any of these guys I ever fought. So in the first round, I had to fight either a very explosive first round to get you to, to go at a fast pace or I had to just kind of nitpick at you until you extended yourself or until you started to get a little bit tired. Then I pushed the pace. He did that. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He didn't get into a dog fight and get caught in the first round and give this guy an opportunity. He drug it out a little bit in the first and the second and the third, he started taking over. Very smart fight. Understand. Yeah. I think he's starting to understand there's a future for he's me in this. He's maturing yes. as a fighter. You can see it. Brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Great job. It was a, it was a good Overall, I thought Abus actually fought a good yeah. fight, but he's going to have to figure out what he needs to do to make it to where that third round is not his enemy. Yeah. True. Yeah. Next. Elvis Brenner against Ken, I cannot. Kruschewski. <laughs> <laughs> Kruschewski. It's um, Kruschewski. It's it's like it's like uh, Kruschewski or Kru. Uh, it's it's Kanan. Kanan. <laughs> it's Kru it's Kru <laughs> Kruschewski. I think is what it is. Kruschewski. Well, okay. whatever it is, yeah. you know, it's funny because we were just we're going to talk to someone here that's going to have some information on this, but Tyson Fury fought Francis Ngannou, and if you look at the punch that Francis landed mm -hmm. on Tyson is the same kind of punch that, you know, Cain Velasquez got hit by Junior Dos Santos with kind of right on the ear, mm. behind the ear, just a little bit, totally legal. And this shot here, man, it didn't look like much, but man, it put him to sleep and it was right on that ear. Didn't look like it even hit him that hard, but it just... Touched him and he was out. Elvis Brenner showing that he's got some power in his hands, but that it's that shot. You hit someone right behind the ear yeah. on the ear, it definitely has an impact on their brain. Dave, are you able to pull that fight up at all and just show us that clip? Is it might be on YouTube? The John, I don't Not think the it Francis was one, right? The Kane one, yeah. Which one? I don't think that that first punch landed, John. I think it was the second punch. They hit him. Did you I, say he's fighting? Which, which one? This fight Not you're talking Cain about Velasquez. right here? No, no. This fight we're talking yeah. about, Dave. Oh, no, it was. The right hand missed. It was the left. Yeah, it was the left. Okay, I want to make sure. Okay, yes. okay, okay. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. so we're on the same page. Then. Never mind, Dave. You don't need yeah, to absolutely. Up. Yeah, because I was like, I, I saw it look like the right hand landed and the left hand missed in the replay. And then when it went live because of the angle that it was shot at. Yeah. Then when you see this other yep. couple replays, you're like, wait, the yep. right hand missed. The, right the left hand, hand landed. Beautifully. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, but, it was so weird because it didn't look like it touched him at all. And he, Hardly at all. he was out. Yeah, He was out. Yeah. What I like is he didn't follow up with big shots after that. Because he, he, nope. he just he realized it was over. No need to. Yeah. Um, great performance. Great job. I mean, there's not much to talk about. It happened in the first round. You know, but uh, I thought he was patient. I thought he did a great job. Of, you know, the fainting was very key. He, you know, he gave the little faint to the jab and waited for the reaction. And he came over with the big overhand right and then hit the left. It was very nicely done. Very nicely done. But the next fight, John, um, I thought Dos Santos fought a fucking a dog a dog. I fight. love that dude. I thought he He's fought a, a stud. dog fight. Very nice. He is a tough son of a bitch. He's a good fighter. You know, he's got he's got a win against mm -hmm. Saint Denise. He's the guy that I thought basically was gonna ruin Saint Denise's career mm -hmm. when the, the referee let it go way too long. But Dos Santos, he's got, you know, the ability to come back he got rocked in the first 15 to 20 seconds of this fight mm -hmm. 
And, you know, I did, we had talked about this fight in particular. I said, this is going to be a great fight. You know, Renat Fakhradinov is just, he's good with his wrestling. He's got good power. He's not the fastest guy, and no. he always does a little bit of awkward things. Mm -hmm. But because of his wrestling, he can do those things and get away with it at times. But Zalikas Dos Santos just fought a hell of a fight because he put up with a tough first round, came out in the second, mm -hmm. looked way better, and in the third, yeah. he almost had him out of that fight. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to uh, Fakhradinov. Looks a little bit like how Magomedov is. If you push back on him, he's great when he's the hammer. He looked yeah. like he started the will in that second round a little bit, and then he started getting even worse in the third. The cardio's not there. He's really stiff when he throws his punches. Um, he's the flexibility and stuff is not there. His his ability to escape from the bottom position when he gets put down was not there. Now I know he got rocked and all those things. He was on the and when he was on top. When uh, Dos Santos was on top. But the problem, though, John, is that even the basic uh, escapes from the mount or from the bottom, they weren't there. You've got to have those things in your mind when you're in trouble. From what I saw, there's there's some gaps in Frakhradinov. And a lot of us were talking um, about how great he is and how wonderful he is and how he's this, he's that. I agree. He has all that. But this, you know as well as I know, once one, once a group of fighters sees there's a little... There's a blueprint, man. There's a blueprint on how to beat you. You see it. The coaches yep. now, okay, we're going to, you know, obviously have a guest on. The coaches now are going to start paying attention to what happened in that fight. And this is where we can get them. We can exploit this a little bit. And now where, they're going to start Where making, were you open? Yeah. Where did that person take advantage of you? And then look at one of the things they're going to look at. They're going to look at the body. Yeah. They're going to look at kicks to the body, mm -hmm. you know, because he got hit with a lot of beautiful, you know, roundhouse kicks and then the teep up the middle, mm -hmm. you know. Oh. Hey, those things hurt. They hurt. One of the guys, I sparred with a couple of good guys that were really good. Kung Lee was really good with his toe kick. I mean, yeah. he would tape his toes and it was like, it was like, he would, he would purposely use the, the front oh, of Oh, just the, the toe. It was just toes. the two big toes. Yeah. So his big toe and the toe yeah. next to it would just jab right into your gut. Yep. And every time when I would go to spar with him to get him ready for, for some of his fights or for me getting ready for some of my fights, I'd go and spar with Kong and go and spar with some of his students there. Thomas Dion, I would spar with him. Jose Palacios, all three of those guys had that little toe kick, and I hated sparring with them. <laughs> I was like, you know what? As soon as we get out there and you start kicking me in, like with that toe kick, I'm gonna take you down. I'm gonna fuck you up. You used to drive me <laughs> nuts, man. I hated it, but it was effective. Really, really. And yeah. then uh, I sparred with Leota Machida and his brother, um, uh, Chinzo. Ken, uh, say it? Chinzo. 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 And they both, they were both really good at it. Really, really good. And they hit it really well behind their punches, little jerks. <laughs> Those jerks. They're great guys. Uh, but I think there's that there's a little opening now. There's a little bit of a blueprint. I'm not saying that everyone's gonna be able to solve it, but this is the opening and the blueprint that people are gonna be looking for. Coaches, fighters. Oh, there's a weakness there. The body, yep. the cardio, a little bit of this here and there. Okay, let's go ahead and see what we can do. Survive the first round, don't get hit with any big shots, stretch it to the second, start, you know, start pushing up the tempo and the pace. You know, but uh, we're going to find out. Next fight. But it was a great fight. Yeah, it was. Great fight. Victor Petrino against Modescus Bulkakis. Man, I'll tell you what. Victor Petrino is really looking good. Mm -hmm. He came in, man, very very relaxed, you know, ready to go. And, man, I'll tell you what. The one punch was a beaut because it definitely – you could see that Bukakis was 
out on his mm-hmm. way down. And when he hit the ground, it kind of brought him back, but Goddard had already come in stopping that fight because he saw him out. And it was a just a beautiful victory for Petrino. Yeah, it was very nice. Hit him on the nice transaction. A little step away, like fadeaway hook. Yep. Very nice. He, one of the guys I used to train with was really good at it. It was Rockhold. He would he would actually switch stances as he, as he did it, and he didn't throw with the right hand because he would fight. He would fight, yeah, right-handed. But then as he would do is yeah, he, he would he hook. Would yeah, he would hook with the left hand and step away. It was or with the right hand and step away and hit. It was very nicely done. Very nicely done. Uh, good yeah. stuff. I mean, like Petrino, I think the future is bright for him. He's got some good work and some and that. Well, if you're if you're looking at the light heavyweights. Yeah. That's a guy that's on the rise. And you can see physically he is strong because he had that one takedown where he, he shot it and he kind of missed it, mm-hmm. but then sucked him in. Yep. Oh, dude, just elevated yep. him up. You go, yep, you're strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. John, any other Very fights on here you done. want to talk about? Yeah, I thought that Angela Hill looked fantastic. I love Angela Hill. She is a sweetheart of a person, and she is just a gutsy fighter who is – Fought basically her entire career in the UFC, yeah. let's be honest. And she was taking on Denise Gomes, who is, you know, highly touted, mm-hmm. got power in her hands, has put down some uh, some really good, talented uh, ladies in the strawweight. Mm-hmm. And Angela Hill just looked beautiful. She heard everything about you because it, it's, it's when you watch somebody like Angela, because Angela came in as a Muay Thai fighter. Mm-hmm. She had no ground at all, you know, and then, you know, she started, you know, trying to wrestle a little bit, and then her cage work, her ability to use the clinch and do dirty boxing up against the cage and the knees and everything, and now her ability to use the entire package and go from one element transitioning to the next, and you look at her and you go, that was a lot of hard work, Angela. Mm-hmm. I know it took you a long time to get there, but you're there because you are a hell of a fighter. The, the knock on her is that she just is in. It's, look, it's not even a knock on her. She just can't seem to win the big one, not the big one, the close one. She's had some. She's had some very close. Tough That's what I'm saying. Like she can't seem to win her. the close ones. Like she doesn't get yeah. the nod in the close ones. It always go. It yep. seems to go to the other person. Yeah. Yep, and uh, I can like her, her Tisha Torres fights, a couple other fights that she had that were really close, and I was like, they were so close, but she couldn't get the nods. And I'm like, yep. ah. you know, um, her career would be different had she got the nods in a couple of those, couple of those, yeah. uh, a couple of those fights. All right, go ahead. That's gonna wrap up our UFC talk, and Dave's got some news for us. But before we go to there, go to OnlyFans.com/slash/WayneIn. OnlyFans.com/slash/WayneIn. Guys, subscribe to us over there. Uh, we've got a couple interviews, actually several of them, that are coming up. What we are going to do is, uh, on some of our bigger interviews, we're going to make them only available on OnlyFans. You guys, if we were charging, I would I could would listen to you guys moaning and groaning. But join us over at OnlyFans.com slash weighing in. It's free to subscribe. Okay? It's free. We're not charging anything. But we're going to have some big interviews coming up here. And uh, we're going to make them only available on OnlyFans.com slash weighing in. So check us out over there. I want to thank you guys for continuing to support us. Go to WayneInMerch.com also. Pick up some of our hoodies and our sweaters. It was a little cold in Tennessee in, in the evening time. A little, a little cold, cold in Tennessee. Tennessee. Oh, yeah. You know, Trust I get me. back to Texas, though. I came, I, came, I came back, and you can see the hoodies no, on, baby. Oh, man, I got back, though, to, te- to Texas today, and it's back up into the 80s. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, yeah. a little breeze. Good. I, 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 I hope that's coming up this week. Oh, way. man, it was freezing Trust Halloween me. week. But, I mean, this week I got back this man. morning. It was By the time I landed at, like, 9 a.m., it was already 76 degrees. 
I was like, dude, Damn. it's been going down to like 28 degrees oh, in, the, in the middle of the night. I'm like, no, no, no. Sucks no, to no. be you. I don't like that. <laughs> uh, what else you got for us, Dave? All right, let's talk about this Bantamweight title, the uh, fight that's been announced for the vacant title between Raquel Pennington and Myra Bueno Silva. Mm. My question is this, Josh. Did we not just have Myra Silva have some kind of USADA thing? Is it gone? Did, it, did they... Did they? I, I don't know. Come up with something that said, oh, no, <clears throat> she wasn't, you know... Um, pull pull that up, Dave. See if you can look that up. Guilty of it, I, you know, John. Sometimes I, I would swear I would swear that there was just a whole thing and to a failed USADA test. Yeah, it was August twenty third. Couple months. Mm. Couple, I don't know. Pull it up. Yeah, let's let's, let's see what this. it says. Uh, Marcella not cleared your UFC drug test failure. Interesting, because she beat Holly Holm. Yeah. And then she, she tested popped. positive for a substance consistent with the prescription medication I take for my ADHD. The UFC oh, okay, that that's she's cooperating is. with. Okay. Um, blah, 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 which overseas. So UFC. maybe because of what the medication maybe. is, they just they let it go. Maybe. Then, okay, that's fine. Which is which is not normal for USADA. They'll normally still hold you to a six yeah. month suspension. Oh yeah, just to, just to prove that all yeah. they caught you. It's all right. The state athletic commissions yeah. are no fucking different. <laughs> <laughs> it's, they'll you know they'll drag it out they just don't want to admit they're wrong typical politicians that's what they are and that'll be a good fight though really rocky pennington is just you know she's a gamer she's yeah. gonna come trying to swing for the fences what concerns me with her is she's not a very active fighter she her and uh tisha have a baby now so she's her mindset might be a positive thing and it might not be are you just distracted <laughs> with the baby or is it more of a focus uh this you know this this time she's had one shot at the title mm -hmm. you know that didn't that didn't go her way that was against amanda mm -hmm. in brazil um this is her chance to get that title yeah i th I, th I think she's gonna be uh all in i'm not i don't i don't think that she's not gonna be all in i mean just it's the overall having a baby in the house trying to get ready yeah. for a fight especially a title and, fight and in in this situation, yeah. that's what Tisha's doing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she she tough. takes up the slack. It is. Tough. It's just tough. Because, like, yeah, it's just tough. It's a tough situation. Come on, Josh. You, look, let's be honest. Fighting uh -huh. is a very, you know, you you have to be a person that at the time that that fight's coming up, it's all about you. Yeah. It is. I mean, it's hard. Like, yeah. uh, like my son was born two weeks before the twenty first in fight, and it's like it just changes. It changed a lot of what. No excuses. It just, it changes. Like, it, <laughs> sure does. you know, just there's the things. You're not getting the sleep that you should have been getting. You're, you know, all the different type of stuff that goes along. You don't, you don't want to leave either. You want to be around. You want to spend those moments, those first two weeks. Don't want to miss anything. I mean, that's why they have, what is it called when wives are, you know. Bonding. You know, the, what is it called when you leave work? Maternity leave. Maternity leave. have those moments. You can have that time to spend and not have your mind on work and things like that. So. Um, yeah, I understand. I want to know where her focus is. I want to see. We're going to find out right off the bat. She's not an active yep. fighter, though, even when she, before she had, you know, she, she hasn't been a very active fighter. She's fighting. Can you pull up her, her, uh, her record here? I would imagine she's only doing one, maybe, maybe two fights a year. 
Yeah. You know, um, I'd say you're right. That's, it's hard to go from just one or two fights a year. You might be all in, but you know, as well as I know that you're getting, the more you're getting fight. Yeah. One fight a year. <clears throat> yeah. She had two in 2021, September and December back to back. And then April and then April, 2023 or 2022. And then January, 2023. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just one fight a year. What? We're going to find out. Well, I mean, this I wish I like her a lot. I like her a lot. Oh yeah. So we're going to find out. All right. Both her and t-shirt. Oh, great. Awesome. Great people. Great people. Yeah. All right, following the comments um, <laughs> about Nate Diaz turning down this um, big, big money fight in PFL against Jake Paul for an MMA fight this time, uh, Nate comes out and tweets, I'm good, I'd rather fight real fighters and never backtrack to the minor leagues pussy FL. Fight <laughs> yourself, dipshit. <laughs> okay. I think that means that Nate does not want to fight Jake Paul in the PFL. Yeah. It's your choice. No problem. I I just don't think um, size-wise, Jake's bigger. Not that it makes a difference. I mean, really in the grappling area. But it will make a difference in terms of, you know, the struggle to get him down. He's got a little bit of wrestling background. I mean, I don't know. I'm not – it just – I think Nate right now is at a stage in his career. He's going to fight one more fight outside of the UFC. I think he'll go back to the UFC, and they're going to do the – they're going to do the Connor fight. It makes sense. Um, you know, PFL came out and they said, you know, hey, we, we put $10, 15000000 million in front of him to fight the fight. Well, all that did really was just that gave Nate more leverage to go back to the UFC and say, hey, you want me to fight Connor? These guys are offering me ten, fifteen to fight a guy who's not a fighter, you know, to fight a guy who's never done MMA before. You yep. know, um, but I think I think there's going to there's a little bit there's a not a little bit. There's, I think there's a lot more that comes with fighting Connor. Despite what people think, and him being on the downslide, whatever it is, all those things, the UFC will market it way more than what the PFL will market the the Jake and the and the Nate Diaz fight. The, we've talked about this forever. The actual backing of which the UFC, their uh, promotional backing, their what is it? Their marketing. marketing. They're fucking just. They're just a, oh, a fucking machine. machine. They're animals, yeah, John. No doubt about it. I mean, they like when a fight is announced, you're like, ah, that fight fucking sucks. You're like, I don't want to watch that fight. By the time you get a week before the fight, you can't wait to watch that fucking fight. You're thinking <laughs> this is going to be the next. You'll listen to everybody under the oh, sun come on. tell you it's the come greatest on. fight let's, let's, coming up. That, well, every every one of their commentators yeah. will because this could possibly be the greatest fight of all yeah. time. <laughs> but when the fight was announced, you're like, nah, don't really yeah. care. But by the time it gets close, you're thinking, man, I can't wait to see that fight. Can't wait. Yeah. So it's a market. They're, they're a marketing machine, man. They know what they're doing. They know how to promote. They know how to build up stars. Like, I think that's one of the biggest reasons they'll never have, they'll never have a fighter's union. Because there's always going to be some fighter that they can bring up and wiggle them through to make them a celebrity, make them a star, make them a cash cow. They can do it. They can make it happen. So well, they they just you know Dana came out with the the Islam Makhachev the statement he made in taking the Volkanovski fight you know on the eleven days notice obviously Volkanovski stepping up and taking it but he 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 liked his statement so much he's putting it up in the PI guess what's going to be right next to Islam's statement this tweet yeah <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
I mean, look, uh, what you get from Nate is you get people can say whatever they want about him. He's not stupid. No, he knows what he's doing, and he's got a really good manager. I, I know his manager. He also knows what he's worth. Yeah, exactly. And he's not. He's put his work in. He's he's not about to. He's not about to cut cut corners right towards the end. What am I doing? No, the the money fight. The money fight for him is his next boxing match is going to do really well, and then his last fight with Connor is going to do really well. I wouldn't be surprised if you end up with Nate and Connor at UFC 300. I wouldn't be surprised. Possibly. Possibly. We're going to find out. We'll see. Well, I've been talking and you've been talking about having a guest on and that he was a trainer. And so we're going to go right to it because we have the one and only trainer from Extreme Couture, Eric Nixick, with us to discuss everything that's happening. Sean Strickland, Francis Ngano, all the people that he is working with. He is a fantastic person, an incredible trainer. Here is Eric Nixick. Well, we are lucky enough to have what I consider, a person I consider to be one of the greatest MMA coaches there is in the game today. My man, Eric Nixick out of Extreme Couture. How are you doing, brother? I'm good, Big John, man. Thanks for having me on. It's good to talk to you guys. Love having you on, man. Love what you're doing. Love it all. I'm not going to let Josh say anything so you don't have to worry about this at <laughs> he all. He didn't introduce He's you as his friend. He said one of the greatest coaches. I get that. He didn't say what, someone I consider my closest friend. Like, see, me, my friend. me, I consider you one of my closest friends in the sport. <laughs> so, John, <laughs> just step aside. Let the man come through. Let me run this shit. No, go right ahead, John. What you got going, buddy? What you got? What you got, John? What you got? <laughs> no, man, I, I am so, I, I, I'm, it's so funny because, Eric, how long have we known each other? This is crazy. But I remember when you first started uh, coaching at Extreme Couture, and we had a little talk, and you were like, man, I just want to get, you know, guys that are, you know, just, you know, excited to be in here. I said, dude, just keep doing what you're doing. You're going to be fucking great at this. I'm a freaking genius. <laughs> let's dial it down a little bit, please. Let's yeah, keep, okay, just a little Let's bit. temper the emotions. <laughs> Oh. No, I, I remember that conversation, uh, you know, greatly, John, like it was, it was, uh, you know, like guys like yourself and Jay Haran and, and, you know, Mike Pyle and guys that really helped me understand how to uh, carve my own path in this sport, you know, and, and, and it was people like you that really helped me out, man, especially when I was, when I was young in my career and didn't really know, you know, how, how to put the right foot forward. Well, the one thing that has really impressed me is you, not every coach can sit there and just do what their fighter does they sometimes coaches try to actually you know get their fighters to kind of fight a certain style and do a certain thing you have never done that you've always flowed with whatever your guy's good at that's what we're gonna that's their strength that's what we're gonna go with and i love the way that you handle your fighters in the corner and i love that you get mad at the judges all the time too but no i love the way you handle your fighters in the corner because sometimes you know what you're stern and you're telling them hey man you got to get your shit together. Sometimes you're saying, hey, I love what you're doing here. You give him a little advice on your, he's open up for that check hook. Do this. What is it that excites you to go back again and again and again? Because it's tough. This is being a coach is long hours. It's a lot of heartache. It's shitty travel and a lot of time away from home. So it's not what people think. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And it's, it's just, I mean, I think the the thrill of the victory, but also, 
you know, you, you, you have this life of servitude to your team and, and to people that really trust in you and believe in you. And, um, I think it's just the, the, really the, the expectations that we have for ourselves that really hires that high standard at Extreme Couture that I've been a part of since day one. So I, I've seen the rise that we had and I've seen the, the guys that were fighting for titles and the world champions being a fly on the wall that was so important for me. And I think the growth and the maturation, because, you know, when, when Coach Falls passed away, I felt like that, that torture was, was handed to me. I didn't really have much of a choice, but I, I also wanted to, you know, the Sean Tompkins of the world and the, and the Robert Falls of the world, but also, you know, my, my mentor, Randy Couture, I owed, I owed it to them to make sure that I, I approach this game with enthusiasm um, I love to show up to work every day. You know, there's days where I think that we all kind of fall in that rut time to time. I think we all do in this, in this, in this industry. Um, but I'm always circled back towards gratitude, man. I, I pull up in that, in that parking lot every day. And I, I think to myself, man, I got, I got the best job in the world and I, I hit the ground running and I enjoy every time, every time I'm in that room. It's a little cliche to say like that, like every fighter is that one fighter that you work with that you, they're like family. But do you feel like that every single time that the expectations for you to show up and be there for them on a consistent basis? Cause you'll find that some coaches, um, that I've known for years that just, they only want to work with the best fighters. They only want to be with the top guys. You've got to build them up from the bottom. So when you first came on and you're, you're working with these guys, is it, do you, do you get a little bit more gratitude or gratification out of the fact that like I had you when you had zero fights in the UFC? And now we're here and look at where you're, it's like, is there more gratification for that type of fighter or is it doesn't matter because they're all like family to you? I would say there's more gratification for the Dan Ige's, the Puna Soriano's, you know, um, you know, Jeremy Kennedy, although he was in the UFC and then, and then left, but just, just, I think guys that you just spend so much time on the road together when there's, when there's no idea of what the end goal actually is, but hard work and determination, you know? I remember going on the road with Dan and, and really getting paid nothing. But although it was like, that's what he was getting paid. And it wasn't the idea of what the payment was. It was the investment that we had into one another. And I think that's why when you see, you know, the corner work that Dan and I have, it's a lot more personal. It's a lot more of a brotherhood um, because my rise was parallel to his rise and our successes are, are transparent to each other's, you know, so it, as much as I love to be able to say like, you know, Hey, I've been with Francis for five, six fights now, but I didn't make Francis Ngannou who he is. I might have added to that, but I wasn't there from day one. So the guys that I was with from day one definitely have a different effect on me, Josh. Absolutely. I mean, like I've known Dan for a long time. I mean, I've never really actually trained with him. I mean, I've grappled him and stuff against the wall, but never like hard sparred with him and stuff. But he's a phenomenal, phenomenal person. I have not, I've yet to meet someone who has said something negative about him. Yet to me, so he's such a fantastic person, and I can see exactly how you guys hit it off. Because every time I see you, you didn't know me from anything until I met you through John, pretty much. I mean, just in passing, we saw each other. Yeah. But um, but man, like same thing with you. Every time I see you in passing, you're just you're either smiling, you're laughing, you're having a great conversation, and there's no, I get no sense of ego from you. I don't want to blow your head up too much, okay? But it's like I get that. But <laughs> you and Dan, I could see being just a perfect match in terms of working together, coach and fighter. For sure, yeah. I think if some somebody said something bad about Danny again, I would I, I'd immediately check on on that person and be like, "Hold on, bro, you something must be wrong with you." <laughs> this is true. Uh, when when you when some of the guys that you've been able to work with, and you know, let's just I'm going to put this out here so people understand. 
you have, you know, guys, Sean Strickland just won the middleweight championship. You were there with him in Australia. So, yes, he does have a passport, Josh. Yes, he can travel. <laughs> did he just get it, by the way, while you're here? Did he just get his passport? He did. He did. Yeah, for yeah, sure. He just got it for that yeah. fucking fight. Yeah. For that fight. So, you, you got guys like Sean Strickland. You were just in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia with Francis Ngannou when he was going to fight against Tyson Griffin. You Fury. got Tyson a, a Fury. variance of Tyson Fury. I'm sorry, Tyson. Yeah. Different, well, different Tyson weight class, Griffin. buddy. Ty, Ty, Tyson Griffin was one of the guys that when he was talking about, you know, yeah, you know Jay Harrod and all of them. But yeah. those guys, you know, Sean Strickland is, no one looks at Sean like he's this super athlete. He's this just, oh my God, look at all the God-given talent. Sean's a hard worker. Sean goes mm. through things. Francis, God-given talent, but he works really mm -hmm. hard. Dan Ige is one of those guys that Josh and I talk about him all the time because we love him as a fighter. He's one of those guys that it's all hard work. It's all everything that he puts into this sport is through hard work. What's the difference in working with those guys? You have Patchy Mix who's in the, the gym there. We, certain guys that are just exceptional in certain areas and then other guys like Jeremy Kennedy, hard worker, just hard mm -hmm. worker. What's the difference in how you handle them? Each one is, has a different approach, to be honest with you, Big John. It's like find, find your path or avenue as a coach where you can help that person succeed or excel. You know, and sometimes it might not be just in the MMA side of things. Sometimes it's just helping them get organized. Sometimes it's helping them understand, you know, their potential. Sometimes they need help in, in the cage or understanding like for Sean, for example, for us, it was like providing him an atmosphere where he felt like he had a family and a place that he belonged. You know, he was this kind of nomad fighter that traveled from gym to gym and team to team. But I started to realize if I can give this guy responsibility and if you give him responsibility, then he feels a part of something, right? Abraham Maslow's self-actualization, the hierarchy of needs. Yep. Give this guy something where he can feel like he's a part of a family. And that's where I, I, I started to really understand and know how to make, you know, Sean respond to coaching. And it wasn't like, when you, when I always say I coach Sean in increments, I don't try to take over. I don't try to give him like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're trying to change things. Even in the corner, I, I just ask for 20 seconds of his time. You know, I don't, I don't want the whole minute. <laughs> just give me 20 seconds of your time because I, I have pertinent information I'm trying to give to you. And then I'll let you get back to work. So, you know, it, it's been a slow grind. Um, but with that being said, I, I feel like, you know, it, it just makes me a better coach. It makes me identify things in a different perspective rather than just X's and O's when it comes to MMA. You're asking for 20 seconds of his time. I'm asking for a text back from Sean. Yo, Sean, you going to text me back, dog? <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's, been, it's been like three <laughs> weeks now, bro. I texted you three <laughs> weeks ago. Where are you at, Sean? No, it's been, we were trying, we're trying to get him on the show. And so I'm going to call him out right now. I've been trying to get him on and say, Hey, I need you to get on this show. But, uh, um, no, I understand what you're saying, but in terms of working with Sean though, when you're coaching him inside the gym, is it different than how you coach him when it comes fight time? Or do you guys are just have the same type of talk and dialogue between rounds and sparring the same in, in between rounds and the fight? Actually, I think in the gym, he's more cognizant to the coaching and more receptive and listens better in the room. Like, um, he's very quick with it too. I'll say something and he'll be like, yes, coach. Yes, sir. No problem. You got it. And God. in the fight, I know that he's more dialed in and focused on, on the, the body language. You know, Randy, Randy talked to us about his fight versus Mike Van Arsdale, which, 
really, I think Sean kind of took that to heart. I mean, that was Sean's approach a lot of times, but Randy talked about when, when he saw Van Arsdale's body language, it, oh, yeah. it made his body language go through the roof. So, you know, we, we don't all, always try to coach just X's and O's. We try to coach every little detail and every little facet of the game to make sure that we're on the cutting edge of what we do, not only fighter wise, but coach wise. So I know when I talked to Sean in, in the cage during a fight, a lot of that is smoke and mirrors because we're trying to deliver a message to our opponent, yeah. not not only the opponent, but also the judges and everybody else that's watching the fight, you know. Um, so in the room, I think he slowed down a little bit and listens to coaching a little bit better rather than in the cage. He's a wild man. But, you know, you see me in the Israel Adesanya files, grab by his arm. just like, hey, yeah. give me two seconds. Listen to this. You know, he's trying to set you up for a same side head kick. Pay attention to this and I'll go sit down and, and you can go right back to your, your pacing like a madman. Yeah, I was in that corner with Mike. Well, I was cornering Mike Van Arsdale for that fight with Crazy Bob Cook, and uh, you could see it. You could just see it in in Randy's face. He was exhausted. Randy was, but Mike Van Arsdale was even more tired. We, we we had to actually get him up off the stool. We had to force him to go back out there in the next round. We told him, said, <laughs> "We've talked about we said, that." Get fight. your ass up and get the fuck. He's like, "No, no, I'm done. I'm done." And we're like, "No, you're fucking not. Get your ass back out there. Take him down and control its opposition." Yeah, it just, uh, yeah, but we could see. We looked over at Randy. Randy was dog dead tired, and he saw how tired Van Arsdale was, and he just started bouncing up and down in his corner, and it made a huge difference. Yeah, you we, see we, the look we on Van Arsdale's that. face. We yeah. actually practiced that, Josh. Like when we hear the 10 second clacker, all, our guys are trained to get up on their feet and bounce because of that, because Randy's instilled that in us as far as, you know, we, we try to coach every little detail, try to coach every little detail, the corner work. The, your 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 walkout, your preparation, every little thing has validity to it, and and train that over and over and over again, you know. And because of because of that approach, Randy has instilled in us. That's why we do it in between the rounds of our fights. You know, we had uh, Johnny Eblen on here um, right after the fight with Sean Strickland and Izzy, and I said I, I I'm pretty good friends with Johnny, and Johnny's like, and I, I remember him telling me that he had sparred and came and worked with Strickland, and you know they helped each other out quite a bit. And he, and he's like, look, I, I actually kind of knew that he was going to win that fight. Like, he's like, don't get me wrong. He's like, I have no disrespect for Izzy. It's just, I just knew that the style that Sean brings was going to make it very difficult for someone like Izzy, who's more of a technician and wants to be a sniper, but somebody that puts the pressure on him. And he's like, and just that style, which he blocks and then comes at you and talks to you and does all those things. How is that? How do you, do you know, did you notice that type of stuff in the gym when you first started training him? And how much has that evolved? Because then we had Bobby Green on and he's like, that dude started telling, he took all my tricks. I talked to people in the cage and I fought Bobby and I know he talks to people in the cage, but he's like, yo, Sean, Sean got that shit from me. And so I just laugh about it because how much of, how much have you seen him evolve in not just a technician and being a better fighter, but tightening up his game? but making himself just an overall true mixed martial artist. Yeah, I've seen him evolve quite a bit. And I think the, the biggest thing for us in the, in, the, in the past few camps was was cage awareness and understanding how to own the geography without putting ourselves on the barrier or backing ourselves up to the cage or, you know, really uh, utilizing our cutoffs really well, which is something, again, that like, you know, I, I think we, we, we learned quite a bit from from Randy. That was one of the things that Randy always talked to us about really early on in my career was, you know, that the cage control should be its own art in itself, you know? So those are things I think for, for Sean that we try to really implement in his game because he gets kind of lost in his own, in his own striking. He'll kind of get into a follow and a chase where, you know, I want him to always kind of understand that we're hunting and we're cutting off. 
So that was a lot of the, the emphasis in his growth uh, the last couple fights. But when you, when you hold pads for him and you start working on some of the things when it comes to the striking, it's so crazy, Josh, because he does things that like, you know, you're, you wouldn't coach. You'd be like, bro, like don't reach for that punch or don't do this yeah. or don't do that. But it works for him, you know. So I think he's a, he's a rule breaker. He colors outside of the lines. Um, and it makes you also evolve as a coach. So I always look at it like this. It's like, okay, well, I wouldn't say don't do that. You just have to understand the consequences behind it. If you do do this, this might be the consequence behind it. And that, it, I mean, it's helped all of us in a lot of ways. Like you tighten up Sean's game a little bit more, but it also opens your mind a little bit more as a coach as well. Sean, because Javier Mendez is very much similar. You have to listen to your fighter. It's not just about what you want to do. Like John had brought that up when you first asked his first question. It's about evolving your fighter, but working behind their strengths. Sometimes these fighters are so fast, they leave themselves out of position. Sometimes they're, they have the shittiest takedowns, but they still manage to get them. Whatever it is, you want to work to their benefits and to what they're really good at. But you also have to listen to them. Javier used to tell me, I was like, man, I don't like that combination. We'd be on the mitts and we'd practice and practice. And it just looked like shit and I felt like shit doing it. It was horrible. And he would do the same thing other fighters as well. But then he's like, you got to use it in sparring. We went over it a couple of times. And if it didn't work, okay, let's throw it out. Yeah. But you know, like you got to you got to know what your fighter's good at, and that's I think where you're really capitalized on with Sean, specifically Sean, is that he's so unorthodox that it's really hard for any fighter to train for him, and it's even hard it seems like for you because it's like how do I make these adjustments? I know you're leaving yourself out of position. There is consequences to you being in this position. So how do you tighten him up, knowing that this is not really what we're supposed to be doing? but it's working for you. How do you, how do you tighten him up in those areas? I, I honestly, God, I think it helps us so much that he spars as often as he does. And we get the reps and the quality reps, the guys in the room, you know, it, it's, it's, it's weird because we've all gone through these phases as you well as you well know, Josh, it's like guys in the early careers were man, like the, the fights that were going on during, during the extreme couture days, there was no sparrings or fights, you know? And then, yeah. and then it slowed down a little bit like, okay, we're only going to spar one day a week and maybe it's three rounds. Whereas I think Sean's kind of, kind of brought back that idea of, of, of sparring, but for him, it's more about his timing and understanding his, his rhythm more than it is about like, Oh, I'm trying to mess people up in the, in the sparring rounds. The other side of that coin too, Josh, is he doesn't really get hit that much. His defense is so good. And I think that's a lot of testament to the fact that he does spar so often. His timing and his rhythm is so good. His footwork is so good. You know, so I, I, for me, I honestly, I think it's the reps that he's getting in the room and he spends a lot of time going out and boxing world-class boxers. And not a lot of guys have been doing that other than guys that are trying to cross over. I think that's also important because as you know, when you go in there with guys that are world-class in boxing, it really, really tightens up your defense very much. So oh, yeah. I, I think all of the, all of the above, I think the reps are really helping us. I, my question is this, because we've talked about it. So I want you to explain this to everyone. Being a guy who's on the inside, being a guy that's, you work with guys that are in the UFC, they're in Bellator, they're in the PFL, they're all over the place and you're all over the place. And you get to see these guys training together, guys that are world champions in one organization, <clears throat> world champions in another organization. How difficult is it for you when you hear people say, oh, this, this is so much better, when you know exactly what goes on in the training room? Does it bother you at all? Does it make do you, you want to sit there and go, here, let me tell you something stupid? Or is it just like, neener, neener, I'll never tell, but you're wrong. 
Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like, you know, what happens in the training room stays in the training room, but it's also, you know, it, it's very enlightening when you, when you see guys and they're, they're gym warriors. You know, we've seen those guys that come in and they're big bullies oh, and guys. they're beating the crap out of everybody, but the lights come on and so there's something different. And then you see that yeah. the other way around as well. So, um, I take that information and I hold it close to the vest. I, I see a lot of that stuff day in and day out. You know, um, for example, the Hamzat Sean Strickland situation where people are like, exactly, that's where I was going. You know, with. like, hey man, um, the rounds, the, the there's a lot of things that I saw that that on on my end that I could say that would that would you know ultimately I think would piss off Hamzat. And again, I'm not going to say those things because it happened in our room and we keep it we keep it in our room. But it all it also is great information for us as coaches to know and and, and how to approach a game plan. Um, and on the flip side of that too, John, like I loved having that dude in our room, man. He made us all better. He brought a lot of good insights, not only to our ground game, but to the way we blend level change into your striking, your penetration step, the way we're finishing our takedowns. So I, I welcome having those guys in the room. I hope that they know when they come train. You know, we don't, we're not, we're not uh, videotaping. We're not sharing those rounds, but you know, what happens in that room stays in our room. With Sean, like what, like in terms of with Sean and like what's coming up with Hamza, what are your thoughts on, I'm I'm trying to board this so you like, so you can answer it in terms of like where, where you think this fight will take place because given like, now we know he has a passport, <laughs> but <laughs> But given that, like, they just were in uh, Saudi Arabia or in Abu Dhabi, so like, what do you, like, where do you, where do you think this fight will take take place? I heard Hamza can't come to the states right now with visa issues, and that's been the issue for a while. So we've Sean doesn't want to go and fight outside, really, from what I understand. Yeah, hopefully in in the states, you know. And now is uh, I actually talked to Sean tonight about some of this stuff as well. And he's like, man, like <laughs> I'm American dude. Like, why would you have me defend my title anywhere but America? You know, yeah. it should be, it should be Texas. It should be <laughs> Arizona, Florida, you know, Las Vegas, something like, something along those lines. But um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, I feel like a lot of these cards don't have a really big headliner or true headliner that are coming up. So, you know, I can imagine Sean, maybe, maybe even Canada, you know, that might be a, might, that might be a neutral option, if you will. Um, but with that being said, he's back in the training room. We're doing everything we're supposed to do. So when that phone rings, that we'll be ready to go wherever they tell us. John, when you take when you have a, some of the young fighters, you have like Kai Kamaka, who's super talented. You're talking about a guy that fast and just, he's got good wrestling. His hands are beautiful, but he's that guy. When you look at him, when he fights, in the cage, under the lights, there's moments where he just basically loses his mind. And then there's fights where he just looks fantastic. Mm -hmm. How is it that you control someone that is that good and has sometimes the ability to not follow the game plan? I know it, it's driving you crazy while it's happening, but what's it like for you? He, he, he said to me after the Corrales fight, he thought that I was going to cuss him out going into round three. You know, and, and, and I thought about it. I really did. I thought about really getting his ass. And, and I, I, all I said to him going into round three, Big John, I said, look, man, I know how good you are. And you're not fighting to your potential. You're fighting to this guy's level. And I said, I don't want to yell Bingo. at you. I don't want to scream at you. I don't want to say anything other than this should not even be a fucking close fight. <laughs> you, you, you should be blowing this guy out of the water. 
even if you're just off your footwork, speed, jab, low kick alone, there's no way this guy touches you. You know, and it wasn't me yelling at him or begging or pleading. It's just my honest to God assessment for a kid who I, I call my Ferrari. When we get in the cage yeah. and we do things, we think on a level that I mean, most people don't even understand what we're what goes through our heads when we comprehend combinations. And we can do things in the room. But you almost feel like sometimes it might be a waste because it's like he's not performing him in the cage. And then you go see him when he feels free and he's in, in motion. And their last two fights prior to that, you saw him lay it all out there. And you saw what he's capable of yep. doing. So I just don't want him to fight to the level of the guy in front of him. I want him to fight to his full potential. And I tell him, I go, that's on me as a coach. I got to get that out of you to where you go in there and it doesn't matter who it is, but you're fighting to your full potential every time out. Yeah, I mean, I felt that way when John and I would talk about him all the time, and he, him and I had actually talked back and forth a couple times about his last couple fights in the UFC. And yeah. I said, that's not you. Like, we know who you are. We, we've seen you fight. We know what you're good at. You're good everywhere, but you fight to, like you said, basically to his opponent's level. If he doesn't believe mm -hmm. that they can do anything to him, he'll just pick and choose his shots. And sometimes, as we've seen, the judges don't, they don't appreciate that. You know, and so uh, he's left himself behind um, in areas where he shouldn't have been, you know, and uh, it's it's a tough situation as a coach to have to deal with. Because what do you say to him to get his, his ass going? That's the thing. Yeah, no, but the good thing is, I think we're on a three fight win streak now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're starting to he's starting to believe in what his potential looks like and and the, the things that are working. And I see him in the room go against Jeremy Kennedy, Mads Brunel, Dan Ige. Julian Arosa, Patchy Mix, you know, I see him day in and day out. Now it's just making sure that every time he steps into the Bellator cage, that he understands what the hell he's capable of doing. And we're going to start seeing him climb those rankings pretty fast. And, you know, that's on me, man. I got to make sure that, that we're, we're firing on all cylinders when we get in the cage and, and we're well prepared. But just getting that little bit of like that, that meanness, I'd say, out of him to be able to go out and go execute what we're trying to accomplish. Looking at, you know, everybody that you have and all these things, is there anybody out there that you look at as a fighter and go, man, I would love to be able to train that guy. Is there one guy out there that you've looked at and said, that would be a guy that would be my idea of who someone I could do something with? Um, well, I, I've, I've trained this guy quite a bit. Uh, and I, I just, I just love working with him, but I don't corner him, which I'm, I'm actually okay with, but I just love his demeanor and I love his approach to the game and that's Johnny Eblen you know I've had a just such a fun time every time he makes a trip out to Vegas um, we really hit it off and I think his fight IQ and the way that he approaches the game he's a great guy. man he, he's a great guy and, and like um, he had talked about possibly moving to Vegas but it was it just it didn't feel right in the moment that he was at in his career and I couldn't be more happy because I love King Mo I love Brown I love all those guys over there and he's made the right decision for him but I, I definitely feel like just as far as like a guy that I connect with on, on a high level of um, expectations to, you know, what we do, I think, in the cage and, the, and our growth, he's the guy, man. I, I really love his approach to the game. So I definitely say Johnny Eblen. When you and to talk about Johnny and talk about Sean, you've seen them spar, you've seen them train. And John and I have this debate all the time, especially me in the comment sections of our YouTube channel about how there's really good fighters all around the world that are not Everywhere. always in the UFC mm. and you're there in, in a, in a gym in one of the top gyms in the world. And you see how many of those guys are in <clears throat> other organizations 
And Mike Brown's very much similar to what you're saying with King Mo over there at American Top Team and Henry Hooft with his guys over at Killcliffe. They know. But can you explain to people that they're not all the best fighters are in one location as much as maybe it would be nice if they all were. But that's what makes this whole thing fun, correct? That's why that's why podcasts are successful because we can just talk shit and just yeah. live in this world of what ifs. I mean, you guys said it, man. Like, I feel like Patchy Mix might be the best bantamweight in the world right now. You know, um, I see him in the room on a day to day basis. I see Sadabu C and what Sadabu's been able to accomplish since he's moved over to Extreme Couture and his development. And not all oh, you guys have done a good job with his wrestling, man. He's, he's done an amazing <laughs> job, but he was a guy that I, I, man, I love that guy so much where he, he actually came and started training with us with Hamzat, him and Hamzat came over and he moved. He said he went, he was with us for a couple weeks. He said, Hey, are you okay? If I, if I pack up and move, I want to come back this next month. And, and he goes, I got my ass kicked so bad here for the last three weeks that I feel like this is where I need to be to get better. And credit to him that he made that choice to. to God, I love that. Attitude. Exactly. And, you know, uh, a rising, a rising tide raises all ships. That was his mentality. He's like, man, I, I got to be here with you guys. So not only have we made Sadabu better, but he's really made us all better in our room. I, I tell you, Sean Strickland won that fight versus Israel Adesanya because of the rounds he put in with Sadabu C. Right. You know, Sadabu made us all better and vice versa. So, you know, like you said, Josh, there's guys in our room that maybe a lot of people don't know who they are. But there's a lot of guys in that room that really help raise the level of who we are as a team. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I've, I've been saying for the long, John and I both have been saying for the longest time, Apache Mix is someone not to mess with, man. And and we said the same thing about Rafian Stott. So we were, con- I was when that fight came about to be in the fight, and we were thinking to ourselves, man, this is that fight where whoever can implement their game plan, but then boom. Out of nowhere, you guys decided to work on a knee up the middle. Very nice. <laughs> not, not me. I was on the other side yeah. of that one. <laughs> no, no. no. I, I want to oh, say, sorry, okay. sorry. hold on. Let, let, let's talk about that real quick because Rafion had come out to Extreme Couture. You guys had a good relationship. Then Patchy comes there. Rafion kind of goes back to Houston but still wants you as his coach. What was it like being there? You, that was in Hawaii. Yeah. You were with Rafion Stotts. Yeah. Patchy Mix is on the other side of the cage, and he's training at your gym. Yeah. That's a weird situation, and there's a lot of things going on that people don't realize. Yeah, absolute nightmare. I mean, I hated every minute of it. <laughs> I mean, I did because it's like it's like here's Patchy. That's, I don't blame you. He's flying the Extreme Couture colors. He's you know he's he's all about the team, um, and and so am I. You know, and it was a situation that would just it sucked, man. It sucked being like you know having a turn the other way and watch rounds on the other side of the gym to make sure patchy felt comfortable. Um, you know, Nate, Nate on one side of the corner, it just, it just sucked all around, but, um, it was something that I had committed to long before the decision, you know, and, and at the end of the day, like Josh and I talked about this when it all came to fruition, it was like, my job and my goal is to make sure that I give patchy mix 110% on my mats. My job and my goal is to give Rafi on starts 110% as his coach. And I hope that both of them ultimately end up in the finals because it is life-changing money. And if I were to win, great. If I were to lose, at least I lose to a guy that's going to benefit from that's out of our gym. Yeah, you know. But uh, man, it it, it honestly, I, I it it was one of the worst feelings I ever had in my life being on you know that whole fight week. Man, it sucked. It just sucked. And and then losing in the way we we lost. It sucked to see Rafion, you know, destroyed like that. You know, but. 
all in all, man, it was it's part of the business and certainly something I, I don't I don't look forward to. If it ever happened again, I'd probably make a different decision on that one. But speaking of Patchy Mix, he's got a huge fight coming up against uh, Sergio Pettis. Give us a breakdown. I mean, how do you see that fight playing out and where do you see him exploiting, you know, exploit Sergio? You know, I, I talked to Patchy a little bit about this and I think Patchy needs to funnel Sergio to the corner panels. Um, where Sergio is so good in, in his footwork and his movement after, after both stances, you have to make him feel like he's stuck in a phone booth and make him make a decision or make him make a mistake to where we all know when Patchy jumps on you and he's hula hooping you and, he not, and he's on your back, that round is pretty much a wrap. Whether he's finishing you from there or you're, you're pretty much stuck in that body triangle position and, and it's tough to get him off your back. But for me, I think a lot of that is to negate the cage and, and make Sergio backed up to a barrier and take away his 45 degree angle movements and make him move laterally where you can cut him off a little bit better. And I think Patchy has a real good game plan. He utilizes his rank length really well. Yeah. Um, and then just get, get him into a position where he makes a mistake and he, he throws something and gets off, off footing where, you know, once, once Patchy's on you, man, it's a, it's a freaking nightmare. I want to say this. I would love to be a fly on the wall. I don't want you to answer, but I'd love to be a fly on the wall to watch him and Aljamain Sterling grapple and him and Murad yeah. grapple. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. I mean, I, I can't imagine someone not wanting to see what goes on behind closed doors. The three oh, yeah, of them together guys, in the same room would be freaking awesome. For sure. And we got a, so. we got a young kid that's uh, up and coming. His name's Kobe Ferry. He's from uh, Ohio. He was, he was a two-time national champion, Ohio wrestler. Um, and he's kind of under that Jake Shields, patchy mix you know, mm -hmm. wing lineage of guys. And, and, you know, we, we, we actually coined a new moniker because of him. We said, make ground and pound great again. Cause he's just, just that, <laughs> just that style that you guys would love, man. And enjoy. And uh, honestly, I, I'll throw one more name in that mix of guys is Jeremy Kennedy. When you see those four guys, those five guys getting after it, it's, it's world-class grappling. Well, I can't use Jeremy cause he fucking walks around about 190. He's so <laughs> damn big. <laughs> I've never oh, seen it. I swear to oh, you. Bro, I'm I, John and I have this conversation. <laughs> we have we have this conversation all the time. I see him in passing. I'm like, there's no way you make the weight. There's just no way. And and Rogan, when I first fought in the UFC, he's like, Josh Thompson's one of the biggest 55 pounders I've ever seen. Take a look at me now. I'm like the smallest guy that would ever walk in that cage. These guys are enormous. <laughs> Jeremy's way bigger than me, and he fights at 45, a whole 10 pounds lower than I ever fought at. You know, it's like it's crazy. He's so big, so big. He, he is. He's a monster, and and the guy is is just a walking diet all day long. Like he can't he can't steer he, he off. He has that to diet. be. He's a, he's a calorie counting dude, bro. Inside and outside of camp, so he no, he's a big kid. Well, sure. He's a calorie count guy with the nickname of Junior Bacon Cheeseburger, <laughs> yeah. and, do, and just, doesn't eat red meat. <laughs> uh, it's a reminder oh, to God. stay away from that Junior Bacon Cheeseburger. That's exactly, exactly what it is. Exactly. He is he's such a great guy. And then how did you guys get linked up? Because I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really heard of him a whole lot until he'd come over to Bellator. And um, I was like, yeah, he he's tough. He's big for the weight. It'll be interesting to see how well he does this and that. And but then in passing and meeting with him and talking with him, it's, it's I get that Dan Ige feel. Like he's a very yeah. just humble, very nice, very confident in what he what he can do inside the cage, but just a phenomenal person. Oh, hands down. And 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 it's like just a big old nerd. Like like me. Like I'm 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 talking like <laughs> we he'll probably he'll be able to go back and, and show you notes from our first pad session five or six years ago. You know, he's just a That's guy crazy. that just just really loves 
the sport of MMA and engulfs every little aspect and finds ways to be better each time out, just like Ige and, and the guys that you mentioned. But um, I met Jeremy. He actually came and trained with us for a couple of weeks, then took that short notice fight against Volkanovski in the UFC, lost the fight and decided to pack up and, and, and move to Vegas. Unfortunately, he was cut um, or not renewed. He was four and one, I think, or three and one in the UFC and they didn't renew his deal. Um, so the first fight I cornered him was for, um, it, we went to Morocco together. We fought for Brave and, uh, we went and got a first round finish. Um, we fought one more time in Brave. Then we moved over to PFL. So I think we about 13 or 14 fights together now. We've been together quite, for quite a long time. And man, he, he's, he's an absolute stud. Um, not only in the cage, but outside the cage, just a great human being all around. Just had his first baby, you know. So, so for, for me as a coach, it's like being a proud papa, you know, like you, you see these guys just, <laughs> Just, just growing into these uh, just phenomenal young men, you know. But, um, yeah, Jeremy Kennedy, man, he's, he's an absolute stud. Do you have a boy or a girl? Yeah, a little girl. Oh, God has a sense of humor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so he, he knows. Oh, 100%. man. 100%. Oh, geez. Um, I guess, look, John, let's go ahead and just crack right into Francis. I mean, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of things going on, going around, and this and that. I mean, we obviously know he didn't fumble the bag. Uh, he's doing well, we're, we, <laughs> but the thing is, is there, there I saw the Chael Sonnen, uh, he did, he put out an article based on an article. He put out one of his videos basically saying like, he kind of did fumble the bag. Cause you know, that's for one fight equal to what basically the UFC was going to pay him to fight John Jones, no guarantees. He would, you know, he was going to beat John and you know, all that stuff. I think the argument is if we're having this conversation about what is next for him, I mean, in his PFL contract, he I heard he has 18 months to fight boxing, and then he can go ahead and come back into the into into the PFL. Can you confirm that that's true or not? He has like a, I think it's like 12 to 18 months to fight boxing. Whether it's get one fight or multiple fights, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that either. I don't okay. I don't know the verbiage as far as the contract goes. But um, you know, Chell Chell made an interesting point in the regards of he would be right if we weren't injured and had the time to actually be able to to fight those fights that he's speaking of. The other side of that coin was we were offered 8 million to fight John Jones. That is correct. But where the hangup was, was what happens if we potentially lost to John Jones and where does that set him back yeah. contract wise, you know? Um, and again, like people talk about like, Oh, well, you know, put your money where your mouth is. It's, it's, it's about setting yourself up correctly and making sure that you're, you're covering your butt on the back end. You know, Those are so people on the couch, by the way, that are saying 100 percent like that. people yeah. that just don't understand the business side of the of things, you know. So so ultimately, yes, um, I understand what Chael was saying in regards of had we been able to fight four fights in the last year. Um, mm -hmm. But because of his knee injury, um, we, we did have a minor uh, setback as far as um, just a cleanup job of the knee that that was in April. And then we were able to get back into camp. So had he been able to fight, it probably would have been about the same timeline fighting John Jones maybe in, 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 you know, September, October for us would have made a lot, lot of sense. But um, he's in a situation now, Josh, where I, I mean, ultimately, I feel like he just gets to call his shots. He's on the A side of whatever he decides to do. The PFL sounds like they're more than willing. From what I, I talked to Ray this weekend, this Ray Seffo, they're, they're all about him being able to box. I think it really also raises the stock of PFL with with yeah. their star, their star, you know, guy going out and making waves and doing the things that he's doing. So, um, uh, right now, I, I think he's he's back home. He's going to probably hang out for a couple months and then 
try to figure out what, what's next for him in the landscape of what boxing looks like. But I'll tell you this, Tyson Fury's not fighting in December that he thought he was going to be doing. <laughs> yeah, it, it did change to February, uh, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, sorry, bud. <laughs> Is it, um, Let was me, it, John, you real got, quick, was it, was it always ahead. Tyson Fury, though, during that time? Because no. you, with the injury, but was there there was there talking stuff with Anthony Joshua with Wilder, was it or was it always Tyson Fury? But then the knee injury kind of held him back, and they didn't want to announce anything until it was until he was healthy and ready to get into camp. We would have fought um, on the on the knee, but uh-huh. with the way that the timeline kind of shook out, uh, we, he was able to get a small cleanup job done done on the knee that really helped him out a ton and really. I mean, honestly, made his movement better, made his cardio a lot better. So I'm glad we were able to get that done. But we had uh, the big three in our in our mind. It was Wilder, Joshua, and, and Fury, with Fury being 1A. If we had the option to fight one of those three, we were going to be happy and we were going to shoot for the stars. Um, there was a couple names that came across that didn't, didn't make sense for us and were more to me where actually could have been a, a tougher fight. For that matter, but um, for him to be able to go out and get the Tyson Fury fight for his first pro boxing match, man, it just it just really set us up for for good things to come. Well, I can I can tell you, I was the you know I've been a fan of boxing, been involved in boxing, I refereed boxing, and I honestly, when this fight was happening, I said, look, I love Francis. I think he's just a hell of a person. He's a great MMA fighter. He's gonna have a hard time touching Tyson Fury. I just don't see him, you know, having that good of a night against him. And I then came out and said, I was wrong. <laughs> I was totally wrong. Completely wrong. And But you got to, I got to ask you one question because in the third round when he knocked Tyson Fury down and you saw him and I started screaming, not so much for the knockdown because I saw Francis step forward and he started doing the little dance. And I'm going, get to the guy damn corner because i wanted the couch to go okay. 100 I, I was like don't 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 do that get to the corner right i was yelling but you, you gotta you look and both. say <laughs> i figure that's like that's one of those moments and i've heard so many people you know, I, I i how many people do not understand that boxing is not 10 seconds it is a 10 count. And when you don't go to the neutral corner, look, I used to referee boxing all the time. And I would tell in the back, let me let me make this very clear to you. I call him down. I'm going to look and I'm going to point you. You can go to any of the three corners. The one farthest away from me is where I want you to be. If you do not go to that corner, I'm telling you, I'm going to stop the count. I'm going to take my time and looking at you and telling you get back to the corner. And then I'm going to slowly <laughs> go back and then start doing the count. So, it is beneficial for you just go to the neutral corner. And I, as soon as he started, I was like, no, it's going crazy. <laughs> you, you and me both, you and me both, because I was like, I was like, we're like get, at first he was like styling on him and dancing. We're like, go, get in the corner, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I, saw, I saw Mike Griffin, the referee, walking him over there. I'm like, ah, oh, shit, yeah, god yeah. damn it. But it didn't matter. It, look, it had to be just an incredible night for you knowing the guy the way you do and working with him and stuff to see him because no one expected him to do as well many people feel that he won the fight if he did it it really i said look it doesn't matter yeah i don't care like he won he's you want you want to know who the winner of the night was that's real simple yeah you know, Francis Ngannou, the guy with the, the, the nice bag that says fumble. <laughs> okay. It's just, 
Yeah. You couldn't ask for a better situation in that whole thing. And it, and to be honest, and, and to be around, Fra Francis is one of the nicest guys. Unbelievable. He is just a classy individual. Yeah, an un unbelievable human being and a, a guy like, you know, you just truly uh, pull for. And look, at the end of the day, we just want to see people succeed, right? Like we talk about this all the time. Success is infinite. There's enough to go around for everybody. And, you know, if you're, if you're cheering against somebody to be successful, you should probably check, check yourself in the mirror, you know? And, um, you know, we had a, we had a great, great, I'd say four or five months of just build up to a camp. And I think it really helped us in regards of we were able to have a boxing camp in segments. And it was like, we're going to work on your cardio, your rehab and this for the first month. We're going to grow into this the second month. We're going to grow into this. And then we're actually going to get into our sparring and our game planning and then just kind of kind of evolve everything out as it, as it went on. And the beautiful thing, too, for us, um, John, is is like it, it unrelatable un to the MMA side of things where you're doing things so much as a team. This was so much predicated on just one individual to his needs and his specific outlook and the way we needed to approach the game. It reminded me a lot of like when, when during the COVID era, when there was just a small group of us that were training in the gym, you know, everybody kind of had their specific style and game plan. Um, it, and it really was a, a, a traditional boxing style of camp. So, um, you know, we were able to just really add new tools, but all, all the same time in our approach to this fight, we wanted to stay unpredictable to the terms of what a conventional boxer would be doing. We wanted to stay on the terms of what we were doing well in MMA, but maybe apply some different flares that he might not see or be accustomed to that a big heavyweight conventional boxing style might be. That's why you saw us switching stances quite a bit. Um, that's why you see different series out of Southpaw. You know, we were trying to set up our step over series that a lot of guys, you know, that we do in MMA. Um, we try to get in the dirty boxing a lot more in this fight because I know that's where Tyson was good and, and, and was really good in, in, in his entire career, but I just didn't think it was the level we do well in MMA in the dirty boxing and clinching. You've seen the size of legs of Francis. You see the size of legs of Tyson Fury, right? It's just a matter of, hey, let's Ty Tyson, Tyson found out very quickly. He thought he was going to just manhandle him in the clinch, and it was ugly for him. It was ugly for him, you know? And, um, yeah. you know, Dewey, Dewey really put together a beautiful – camp in my opinion the way the camp was laid out and structured um it really fit the style of the fight that we ended up having and then the way the sparring partners were lined up you know we started sparring guys that were i wouldn't say world beaters but they were big sufficient heavyweight guys that we can able we were able to kind of grow into the boxing element and then as the camp grew on the style of guy got harder and, and tougher and then by the time of the end of camp we're sparring this Ukrainian guy who's like 12 and 0, you know, and he, 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 he's in the USIC camp. He was with Klitschko and that guy made us better. You know, that guy really made us better for our last month of camp having, having Alex around. So it was nice to see the, the, the evolution, if you will, of the way the camp progressed. And in the last couple of weeks, man, we just really hit that peak to the point where, you know, we all had faith in Francis, but we're all looking around each other going like, Hey, we could pull this fucking thing off, man. Like this is, this is right where we need to be. So, you know, it was it was a beautiful job by Coach Dewey, uh, John Mumba, you know, um, the whole team, man. I, I couldn't be happier with the way everything progressed. There is um, 
a couple things and a couple questions I have for you. Who would you like next? Do you want to see them run the Tyson Fury thing back? Do you, or would you prefer maybe like an Anthony Joshua, maybe spread the wealth a little bit, go out there and, and dabble there because certain guys, I feel like are tailor made. I think Anthony Joshua is tailor made for Ngano. I don't think he's got a great chin. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think he's got a great chin. Uh, he tends to slow down by rounds three, you no know, four, five and six, you know, and I think in terms of strength and physicality, I think obviously Francis is the bigger, the, the more physical fighter. And when he gets in that mix, we saw that with Tyson, like John said, in the first round, uh, Wilder, I think is probably the last guy. He's just, he's long. He's got good power. It's like, there's a lot of risk reward there though, too. You know, he leave he does leave himself open. He is hittable, you know, um, he is kind of a slow starter. He kind of comes on as the fight goes on and Tyson just having the bigger name, being the champion. Like if you have, to, if you're choosing between those three, those are your three anyways that were on the market to begin with or that you guys were aiming for. If you had to choose between those threes, maybe for the second one, what would you do? Who would you want him to do and why? Honestly, I, I would love to get the Tyson Fury fight back again. Um, all the things that you said are, are spot on too, Josh. Like that it, at the beginning of the whole, the whole boxing journey, um, Anthony Joshua was the guy that I really felt was the one that we could pick off. That was the name. Yeah. I was like, we can get this guy. We can get this guy. I think we could, I think we could beat this guy. Um, Wilder was, I think, a kind of looking in a mirror in a lot of ways when it comes to unpredictability, when it comes yep. to the striking yeah. side of things. So that could have been more of a coin flip. Um, and then Tyson Fury was the, oh man, this is the holy grail of boxing. Now that I saw that what we're capable of doing, and I think, there's a lot to be said about Francis's um, – I wouldn't say that he was naive to who's in front of him. But ignorance is kind of bliss. It's like the guy when – we've all seen it in our gym too, right, Josh, where a young kid will come in from wrestling from in high school and he's going with Joe Benavidez. And he doesn't even know who Joe Benavidez is. And he's in there just wrestling his ass off. And you get done, you're like, hey, man, that was a great round. Do you know who that was? He's like, no, I had no clue. <laughs> it was Joe yeah. Benavidez. It's almost like that with Francis – He's just like, hey man, I'm just gonna go and, and I'm just gonna go in there and, and and give my best A game and and I'm gonna I'm gonna get after this guy and sure as shit, man, he he hung in there with the best heavyweight in the world right now. So I feel like you can you can really run that fight back. I know he's asking for Usyk to step aside for a rematch in February. Um, all in all, I think he holds all the cards, man. I I think he's a thirty forty forty million dollar fight. Whatever whatever he wants to do next, if it's Joshua or Wilder rematch. Man, or I mean, um, or a Fury rematch. Man, all of them make sense to me. But um, if you're asking my opinion, I would love to get that Tyson Fury run back again. What do you say to the na- like the naysayers? Like, look, and I'm going to be honest. You're going to hear this, and we've heard it already a ton of times. Is that he just used Ngannou to get ready for his Usyk fight? And I've said that. I was like, he called this. He signed the Usyk fight, and he basically was using Francis to get himself ready for the Usyk fight. I'm going to use this camp to kind of get my steps going. You know, and then then on top of that, because if you look at him in that fight with Francis and I'm not taking anything away from France, I'm saying, though, we've seen Tyson Fury have more output. We've seen him have more footwork. And a lot of the naysayers are going to say, well, that wasn't somebody that we'd seen fight like a like a Wilder. My Uh argument with John's argument, both of our arguments was this is that Francis made him uncomfortable in there. And that's why you saw that fighter. But what's your take on how do you how do you present your argument to naysayers as as the coach? I, you here's the thing too. It's just like arguing with with my my seven year old right now. 
right? Like, <laughs> Fuck, that's honestly, tough. That's so tough. Just, hold it. Just, just so you know, Josh and I argue with a lot of seven-year-olds. <laughs> John sometimes <laughs> when he's arguing with me, it makes him feel like a seven year old. <laughs> so. But I, I've never been in a in a in an Instagram conversation or a Twitter conversation where somebody actually stopped and said, "Hey, man, you know what? That you're right. That makes a lot of sense." Mm-hmm. And I, I found like I find like it it just it's just spinning your wheels and, and wasting your time on you know now people are are saying, "Oh, well, look, look at the pay per view buys." Right. It's like, bro, like what we can we can just argue and fight over every little nuance of this of this game. And none of it's ever going to make sense. I'd rather spend my time on getting better. I'd rather spend my time on working on on our craft and just shutting people up each fight each turn out, you know, because at the end of the day, they're going to find something to bitch about. They're going to find something to say that you're doing wrong or or why you suck (laughs) or whatever it may be. But we're going to continue to keep growing and becoming better. And instead of uh, of worrying about the naysayers, bro, it's that's on them. You know, uh, my, my buddy always had a great saying. He said, "He said hate is the preferred emotion of the underachiever. They're gonna you're gonna catch hate, but probably because they're they're not achieving what they need to achieve." Yeah, I'm stealing that one. Now. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. You that's a good. You one. talked about uh, Francis in his in his fight with Tyson, how he was switching stances, going to Southpaw. I got I got to I got to pat you got you and Dewey Cooper and you guys on the back because I felt like his straight left was really effective in the fight. Every time he switched and it seemed like it was a lot straighter than his straight right and it was finding the mark every single time which was making Tyson a little bit more hesitant to step in cuz like oh he's got power in both hands and it's coming fast and quick right down the middle. I mean what was the what was the reasoning behind switching your stance so often? Well, you know, I, I, I talked to I talked to two people prior to this camp, and one of them that a, a guy that I, I love and respect and I've known for a long time is Chris Algieri. I called Chris and I said, "Hey, man, let me pick your brain on some things. You know, you, you fought in kickboxing. You're you're well versed in MMA, and obviously you're you're a great boxer in your own right. Here's some of my approach that I want to try to attack this. And what do you think?" And he said, bro, I, I think you're onto something. I think that it's something that might be able to disrupt some timing and some rhythm. But all the while, it gave us a bunch of different setups that I think that most conventional boxers weren't going to be able to see. A lot of the style and the approach of starting off Southpaw Josh was because I knew that he'd be afraid of our right hand. And I felt like Tyson was their number one game plan, which I saw right away, was to nullify our power side hand with their jab. He was going to jab our right hand and make us parry. Round one, what did he do? Jabbed our right hand, make us parry. So let's change the delivery mechanism. Let's move the power hand now forward and let's make him occupy that hand here. Now, when we throw our straight left hand, what happens is was Tyson kept using his lead hand to parry his hand down. When we threw the southpaw cross, there was now an opening for us to hit our step over to bring a different delivery mechanism to hide are now front side hand over to our rear side overhand, just a basic step over. So we were trying to find ways to to occupy his defense and do things that maybe he wasn't accustomed to. The other thing was with out of the open stance, we were also throwing our left hand right to Tyson's parry hand side and try to get him to parry that hand down. By doing so out of southpaw again, we would throw the left hand straight, get him to parry, and then we would do a gallop reload reload the left hand again to come back to the left overhand. So it was yeah. almost two left hand punches, just a gallop reload or a gallop step to come back with the left hand. So there was a lot of things I think that we were seeing that we actually, 
you know, didn't really accomplish to the ability that I think we could have. But all the while, it, you know, it was doing his job. And you're absolutely right. His left cross is is a better strike than it is his right cross, in my opinion. I think it's because this is jab hand that's actually just now reversed. But man, he he could throw a nice left hand. And I thought the moment we saw Tyson Fury try to make the adjustment to us being southpaw, he didn't he didn't feel comfortable there. So I, I felt like we were on to something right away. I found that most most guys that throw a good a good straight left when they switch and they're not normally left handed or southpaw is because they're more relaxed. Is that it's it's something that they don't tense up like when we're normal when I'm when I was fighting normal I would load up my right hand or I'd sit down and you could see it coming. You realize you're when you're southpaw you're like thinking to yourself just fucking throw it straight. Okay, how do I throw it straight? How do I throw it straight? You're thinking to yourself, don't fuck this up. Because if you leave yourself overextended, there's a lot of things that go through your mind because you're not used to fighting in that stance, especially in a real fight. It's different to do it in the mitts, on the mitts, or in sparring with teammates. But to do it in there against someone like Tyson Fury, you got to have some big balls. And that's something that's overlooked. And you got to pat Francis and you all you guys for switching that game plan and making it work because it was effective. It was really yeah. effective. The, the one thing too that like the only reason why it did work or the reason why it worked so well is because you're, we, we base it on you're not allowed to switch your stance unless your defense is sound there. And, and a lot of people are seeing or are, are falling in love with the stance switches, but how is your defense sufficient from there? If, yeah. if you can't block a punch or you can't see what's coming from that southpaw position, you're probably better off staying in an orthodox stance or your natural stance for that matter and not switching those stances. So your your defense needs to be fluent out of both stances before you can even make that uh, that assessment to go over there. So it's true. So it's true. I'm mean, like for my go ahead, John. Sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Like for myself, when we were first working switching stances, it was more of a switch, throw your combination, and get back to your your normal stance because you knew you would leave yourself out because of def- for defense. You you weren't you weren't fully prepared to block the head kick on that side. You dipped that way. It was just. Everything was backwards. And so you had to make sure you got yourself back to the normal stance to be more of a defensive fighter. Exactly right. Switch with purpose, you know, don't, don't and like, you know, fallacies to get on that uh, us about that. Don't, don't just switch just to switch, switch with purpose and intent. But you know, if, if all need be get right back to your natural stance immediately. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I saw that I saw Francis doing in that fight that I was really impressed with, cause I, I know working with Mike Tyson, it looked really good. But you look and you go, how much? Are you, how much are you going to be able to actually pick up and utilize in the fight? And you know, Tyson used to frame with his with his left hand and throw a big uppercut with his right hand or overhand, and he used to use a jab with a straight right to the body all the time. And Francis used that perfectly multiple times throughout that fight. I just want to say, what's it like? You know. Give some credit up to Dewey Cooper is a phenomenal coach. He's done great things with, uh, you know, Bubba Jenkins went there, great wrestler. All of a sudden, Bubba Jenkins had hands. He was he was really looking good. You know, Francis having him as a coach. What's it like for you to be able to work with all of these other coaches, and how much has that improved your game? Listening and seeing some of the stuff that they talk about. Oh, I love it, man. And, and Dewey's my brother. We've been together. For a long time, uh, Dewey and I worked He's, our first camp together was uh, Ray Seffo when he fought World Series of Fighting. Um, and that was the first time like Dewey and I actually jumped in the corner together. And, and we've cornered a tons, tons of fighters together, um, obviously Francis being our, our main guy. And we feed off each other very, very well. There, there's no 
There's no egos when it comes to who's wearing the microphone or who's the head guy or who's this or who's that. As a matter of fact, when this fight started, um, this fight camp started, I, uh, our, our guy gave me the, the video content guy. I kind of forgot we had a meeting and Francis was looking at hiring a full-time boxing coach. And in that meeting, I, I went to bat for Dewey and I was like, no, man, the, the guy that runs your camp is sitting right here and that's Dewey Cooper. We all have full faith on what he's capable of doing. And moreover, I just feel like, you know, Francis's trust factor in the guys that he has around him is very important more than it is about the style of coach. And man, I just felt like Dewey was the right guy for the job. And, and not only did he exceed our expectations, man, he blew everything out of the water. You know, the guy was traveling to corner Bubba Jenkins, traveling back the next day to hold pads for Francis, travel back to here to do this. He really, really busted his ass and was the heart and soul of this entire camp. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of him. I'm just really glad he's getting all the flowers that he deserves because, man, he, he was the heart and soul of what we put together this camp. You guys said you you were brothers, you and Dewey, and I'm like, I can see the resemblance. You guys look very similar. Um, <laughs> very similar. But he, he talks to my mom more than I do, so we're definitely brothers. <laughs> um, I'm going to kind of switch gears a little bit, and there's a little bit of talk that PFL is going to buy Bellator and – you know, and there's the crossover and all this stuff. And obviously, Ryan Bader's the the heavyweight champ over there. Um, I do know that Brian, ha Brian has brought up um, a couple times, you know, he's definitely interested in the fight. If it does happen, it does come to fruition. Um, how do you how do you like that fight, him and Francis? Um, I, I love that fight. I, I just feel like, you know, in, in no disrespect to Ryan, I just feel like we we've seen what Ryan's done against power punchers, the Anthony Johnson's of the world um, guys that go in there and just, you know, try to bang and take his head off. Um, I think it, I think it changes the element of, of Bader's approach. I think he's gotten so much better since his UFC career. Um, but I think it's just, it's just very different when you get a guy of the size and stature of Francis Ngannou in front of you versus a guy who's, you know, fought at 205 has now moved up to heavyweight who can kind of, you know, dabble in between the two divisions. Um, and when you get a real true power puncher and a guy in Francis who also, you know, I wouldn't say he's the level of wrestler by any means of Ryan Bader, but a guy who's sufficient now in being able to stuff takedowns and put you in a position of, of panic wrestle um, and keep the fight on its feet. You're in for a, a, a pretty short night, I'd say. And in a fantasy world, okay, because I know, look, we've already talked about cross promotions and all this stuff, and people continuously, I was listening to Don Davis on aerials, and they're going to do this whole thing with John Jones. But in a fantasy world, because we know it's never going to happen, what exactly and how did you see that fight playing out? I mean, like in terms of the expectations from Francis, stop, being able to stop his wrestling, utilizing his power, you know, I've always said, John and I both have always said, John Jones is great against guys that were a little bit smaller than him. Not not mm -hmm. in terms of weight and stuff, but in terms of they didn't have the reach. So, yeah, the reach, the length, all of those things. He could put his hand on your forehead, and it was like a little kid. You couldn't reach him, like the little brother that couldn't hit him. But when he fought guys that were tall, long, and lanky, you know, like Gustafson and uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Dominic, Dominic Reyes. Reyes. He had a harder time with those guys because it was the physical body size wasn't to his advantage anymore. Correct. I would say without, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm still optimistic that maybe one day we'll get that fight, but um, yeah. here, here was my, here, here was my <laughs> thoughts on, on the approach was we couldn't make it a, a technical fight. 
where if we stood in front of John and tried to go tit for tat, technique for technique, I, I felt like we would put ourselves in a loss. I, I certainly wouldn't want to approach it the same way that he did against Jarzinho by any means. But um, I, I think the term would have been calculated chaos. Put, put John on his back foot, make him, if he were to decide to wrestle, it needed to be off his back foot and more of a panic wrestle to where the shot would have been more apparent and you would have been able to defend any, any of those takedowns. I didn't feel like John, although it being a, a very short fight, I didn't feel that he looked very comfortable on his feet against Cyril Gone. I did feel like there was a little bit of, uh, you know, uncertainty when that fight was, uh, was starting to take place. And I feel like that would have been our opportunity to make sure that, you know, we got right on him and, and were to try to get him on his back foot and try to attack him right away. Um, and I felt like, uh, uh, who is the guy that's now Santos? I thought Tiago Santos did a good job when he fought, when he fought John on putting him on his back foot and making him fight with his back against the cage. That would have been a, a lot of the, of the approach that I think we needed to have. And, you know, if we were the first fight that John would have had in the heavyweight division, I feel like to, to you know, way heavy on him. Let, let's make this a heavyweight fight. Let's, let's get into the clinch games, you know, which could have been a calculated risk because I, I do think that's where John's very good with the elbows on the inside clinch game. But I also felt like it was going to be important for him to carry some of our weight early in the fight as well. My last thing I'm going to, well, we, we, we saw from the Tyson Fury fight that, Francis handles elbows very well. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I'm gonna get you. Go ahead, I'm, I'm gonna sorry, get you man. out of here on this. Last question for me. Yeah. Um, give us some guys in in the gym that are look at that are not signed by anyone, but we should keep an eye out for. Um, definitely the the uh, Kobe Fair kid I mentioned, um, okay. and then I would say I'd say Puni Pagola. Puni fights for LFA. He's a, one of the Hawaiian kids. He's a guy that Brad Zavares brought over years and years ago. Um, very, very good out of both stances, very fluid. And here's what I love about him and, and Kobe. Um, one is a proficient striker. One is a great grappler. And those two have now become very good training partners in helping one another's growth and their maturation. And, and Pooney's a guy that really just jumps off the page when it comes to striking. But all the while, his last fight, man – I got actually emotional watching his rounds because he had a moment there where he could have kept it on his feet and did this and did that, but it was a situational awareness thing where he actually shot a takedown and finished the round on top because it was what the what, is what was given to him rather than forcing a knockout or forcing this for forcing that. I was so proud of him because he did he made the right decision for what was right in front of him. And I literally had tears in my eyes because he was a guy that just shied away from any wrestling, any grappling whatsoever. And he turned something that he felt was a deficiency into a strength. And that's what our, our main goal is. I think when you look at extreme couture, it's like, hey, we don't want to be typecasted into one thing and you're doing one thing to win a fight. We want, it, we want you to win fights for what presents itself. We can call audibles. If you take a guy down and he can't get up, let's get back to the takedown. Why, why put ourselves in any peculiar situations? Let's give ourselves the right opportunity to win. And that all starts in the training room, man. So to me, Kobe and Pooney, those guys really jump off the page for me. And when it comes to guys that are just that up and coming talent that you're going to see, you know, making waves hopefully soon in a big organization. What weight are they? 35s and 25s. The huge guys. Yeah. <laughs> the fun, yeah, the fun guys. All right. The fun guys. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you one silly question as far as you get to work out with a lot of these guys. 
you hold pads for a lot of these guys, the Sean Stricklands, the Chris Curtises, the Francis Ngannos, the Sorianos. Who's the guy that absolutely is going to owe you payment for your surgery on your shoulders and elbows <laughs> when you're done with your career here? <laughs> Puna Hele Soriano, for sure. Puna and Puna. Yeah. Oh, no Francis. kidding. Yeah, I, I always I always tell Puna, I think he's pound for pound the hardest hitter in the gym. You know, he, uh, unbelievable, the power this guy generates. And honestly, John, it's, it's ungodly. I don't know where it comes from. He doesn't cut really any weight to make 85. We've actually thought about moving him down to 170, but, um, he, he hits pads. Like it reminds me of like Jack Tatum, you know, the assassin from the Raiders, just a guy yep. who just send it through and he's not aiming at you. He's aiming at the guy behind you. That's the way he, he punches. You know, now it's all about making sure we get the delivery mechanism correct and he's not, you know, blowing his load in the first round. <laughs> he just touches you, man, and he, he'll put you to sleep. So definitely, definitely Puna. I'm, I'm actually due for that shoulder surgery, for too. I'm, I'm pretty much <laughs> bone on bone now, so. You know, there, there was a guy out there that most people don't remember and stuff, but, you know, everyone thought, you know, the, the tank abbots were the big hitter. The guy that hit the hardest that I ever saw, 185-pounder, and it was a guy named Drew McFedder. Yeah, yeah. He could oh, swat. Yeah. yeah. Man, if he landed, you know, but he did the same thing. His gas tank wasn't real big, <laughs> and he hated to wrestle. Man. <laughs> so. Absolute crack. Yeah, Drew. Uh, he was a um, Pat Militich guy, correct? Yes, he was. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But he couldn't wrestle for <laughs> not at all. <laughs> hey, Eric, man, I want to uh, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, it's been a pleasure, and uh, – yeah, I just we didn't want to. I don't want to drag you out too long. We've got a good hour out of you, and I want to thank you so much. It's been six months. I've been trying to get you on, John. Just you know, come on, come on. <laughs> you know, I'm a bad, bad person, man. No, nah, man. You know, bad you know person. how much I love both of you guys, man. And the, yeah. the honor's all mine. You know, I, uh, I watch you guys' show regularly, especially when. And this honest to God truth, if I'm trying to break down a fight or if I have a question on something, honest to God, I'll watch the show and see what your guys' right. analysis is on something and. You know, you guys are usually spot on with it. And when you're wrong, you're wrong. You admit it, too. That's why I always appreciate about, about both of you guys. So, you know, um, love you both, man. And I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Man, thanks for coming. Eric, I want to tell you, man, love you, brother. I'm so happy for your success. Just keep on trucking and doing it and making everybody wish that they had your job. <laughs> yes, sir. <All> right. <laughs> That's it. Take care, my man. We will talk later. Well, I want to thank Eric for being on with us. That was a lot of fun. I've known him for a long time. I will tell you, Josh, he is one of the best guys that you could ever be around. And he is so good at being a trainer. And you can just see it with the, the way his guys are performing and what's been happening. It couldn't happen to a nicer guy. When I know a lot of the people that listen to the show, you guys don't, obviously a lot of you guys don't see what happens behind closed doors. You know and you can tell who's a good coach and who's not. Those good coaches they'll normally have like one or two of their, their fighters always with them. And even if the, those fighters are not cornering, they still come along because they want to be around that coach. And he's someone like, he's always got a Jeremy Kennedy. He's always got a Kai Kamaka. He's always got someone that's with him, helping him and his fighter either warm up, get ready, cut weight with them, do all the things that the coaches don't want to do during fight week. And that's what that fighter is. That fighter is someone who looks up to him, admires him appreciates him and you see it everywhere we travel john we see eric in almost every fight 
And he's always got he's always got a, a one or two guys that are helping out with whatever fighter he's got on on the card. And you can see that his fighters respect him. They admire him. They look up to him. They do all the things that you're looking for, you know, um, in a coach. And he's he's a fantastic person. Like I said in the interview, I didn't know him. I just knew of him. I didn't know him until you and I were sitting around talking one day and he was there and you introduced me to him. And he's an absolutely just a, a genuine guy. When you talk to him in passing, he's a great guy. So good luck and congratulations to him on not fumbling the bag. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, the future's bright, man. I think he's doing a great job oh. over extreme tours and, uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, yeah. yep. wait, well, guys, that's going to wrap up our show and uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the interview and hopefully you guys enjoyed our fight breakdown and we're going to go ahead and move on and got Tuesday. We've got a lot of things going on on Tuesday coming up for our next show. You guys will be excited and, uh, several interviews that'll be coming out. And, um, remember, like I said, Follow us on OnlyFans.com slash Wayne in. OnlyFans.com slash Wayne in. And John, take us away, bud. For everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Mr. Eric Nixick. He is a fantastic person. I hope you liked our breakdown on what happened and even the reference back to Jake Shields and Dan Henderson. <laughs> Come on, you got to admit, you can't think of another fight that happened like that. But everyone out there, thanks for watching, and we will see you.